Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're rocking with the most awesomest. The Carl Nelson Show. And good morning, Wake Up Squad, and thanks for starting your week with us again. Later, the multi-talented researcher, Kiti Awadi, will be back in our classroom. My brother Kiti will explain how the global reset connects to the recent spate of coups in several of the Francophone African states. Brother Kiti will also explore how to make reparations practical. For Brother Kiti, though... Washington, D.C.-based holistic doctor and restaurateur, Dr. Baruch, will give us some items that you should be eating if you're celebrating Labor Day today. But to get us started, Haitian actress Dr. Jude Azard is here. Good morning, Brother Jude. Sa passe, my brother. Now, form, not bullying. Hello, no problem. All is well. Thank you for asking, and uh, thanks for having me. Happy uh, Labor Day to you and all listeners. All right, because I got to figure out what's going on in in Haiti. You know, uh, last time you were here, you were telling us all these things were going on, and now since you since we last spoke, the State Department has uh, you know demanded that all Americans leave Haiti because it says that, that it's just getting out of control. Help us find out what is really going on, because we know there are. Well, I shouldn't say I know, but I don't think maybe you can clarify this. There aren't any gun manufacturers or weapons or ammunition make anybody making bullets in Haiti. So where's all the, all this ammunition coming from? Well, uh, what we're seeing here, once again, thanks thanks for having me. Uh, what we're seeing is uh, what is a uncontrollable uh, uh, state and where uh, gang-controlled Port-au-Prince, um, and that makes it uh, almost impossible for um, an average citizen to live and there. So the qu- to, to respond to that question as to where the guns are coming from, um, that's, that's a big can of rum there uh, as to who's furnishing, who is giving them. Uh, when we understand those people, uh, I'm not sure by doing so much kidnapping, uh, there are, are they able to buy guns? of that caliber at this point. But there must be an initiator as to who's giving them at first and what was the primary purpose of all that. So um, the guns are manufactured and and there are American guns, unfortunately, uh, all over the the, the street of Port-au-Prince. And when you consider consider that um, some people uh, have free uh, entry, they had, they can um, bring anything they wish to Haiti without control of any sort of government uh, entity, because there is no, um, not one functioning uh, uh, government entity in Port-au-Prince and Haiti, because because we don't have any elected official as we speak. So the entry, it's like a, 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 a backyard. The owner is not in town, and anyone get in and do whatever they wish. 
Wow. Is it just Port-au-Prince or is it the entire island? Because, you know, while my niece was there on a medical uh, uh, excursion, I guess helping uh, some medical efforts down there. But she said that it was when it was just in Camp Haitian and uh, and Port-au-Prince. But is it still just uh, the the violence is just still to the capital or is it all over the the island now? Mainly, mainly in Port-au-Prince, almost every corner there is a gang. leader uh, that actually uh you know take the people the people the uh, again if I, I emphasize that it's average haitian that's being uh, killed it's average haitian uh there is a group of people that have not been uh, affected by this and you ask yourself sometimes are they is some people are making money out of this just go back again to the same gun that we're talking who's bringing them in these people they 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 have free pass for to bring any luggage and uh port-au-prince and uh from through the sea or air so some of them they probably have their own uh, uh, uh plans to bring stuff on haiti so it's a free fall anyways um it's it, your the question is the question that you ask is is it only in port-au-prince it's not only in Port-au-Prince, but mainly, mainly in Port-au-Prince. That's where people be, are being killed on a daily basis and subsequently burned uh, to avoid, I guess, smells. Uh, and with the force of po- a police force uh, that have no power uh, to uh, uh, restrain these gangs. And, and it is also reported that even some of the little uh, number of police that we have, some of them are actually involved into corruption. So it's it, it, it's a very tough situation that we're dealing with. Let me interrupt for a second. Did you mention burnt? Are they burning, actually burning bodies? Well, it's being underreported what's happening in Haiti, uh, and, and it's sad. I have... Um, I have Previously, uh, uh, watch a certain video as, you know, people, yes, you heard it right, and people are being killed uh, by the gangs and subsequently burned. Uh, and that happened almost every day in every corner. People are being immune to see those things. I mean, growing up myself, I've seen quite a few things when I was growing Hopefully I'm allowed to talk to Jude, because folks, it's uh, it's, it's it sounds like it's absolute chaos in in Haiti these days. And we mentioned earlier at the top of the show that uh, the State Department has, has ordered all Americans to leave Haiti right away because the violence was it was localized uh, to the capital of Port-au-Prince, and now it it seems as Dr. Jude is telling us, Dr. Jude is already an Haitian activist. He's been telling us that now it's it's spread all over the island. A question I want to ask him: Who benefits? Because when you see something like that, somebody's getting benefited from from what's taking place, and somebody somebody's benefiting from the chaos that's taking place, and 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 the others are just taking advantage of it. So we got to find out what's going on there. And he, he mentioned the guns. You know, we, uh, 
we earlier talked about the guns out. The guns came into L.A., Chicago, Miami, or they were just found uh, just found on train tracks. Just, somebody just left there, them there in those cities. And I was wondering if that's the same situation that's uh, taking place in Haiti. But Dr. Jude is back with us. So, so Dr. Jude, I'll let you finish your thought. Then tell us who benefits from all this chaos that's taking place in in Haiti. Well, uh, who's benefiting, benefiting from it is is um, as we we can't we can't really finger at anyone as it is but there is definitely um unequivocally someone is benefiting from this uh, but there is a group of people again in haiti that have not been impacted by this situation uh and it's business as usual for them uh my question and all this is um, how could someone uh, in their right mind uh, keep doing business with Haiti as it is, with no elected official? The people are being—it's uh, a carnage in Haiti. Uh, it's happening in Haiti on a daily basis. It, it, people are being massacred every almost almost everywhere. Uh, it's a massacre that's happening there. So. You ask yourself, it, to me, again, it's unconscionable that any uh, government would keep doing business with, with Haiti. So the help, it, it's possible. It's, I mean, if you, it's unfortunate that we, we cannot have, we don't have an image of to, as to what, you know, what's really happening there because it's underreported. And I'm asking myself, had Haiti been a country? A different country, a country where uh, people were mostly all different background, would it have been, it would have been a different uh, reaction. You know, the world would have reacted differently to what's happening uh, in Haiti. So it's unfortunate, but who's benefiting from it? Uh, beneath the surface, again, unequivocally, someone is benefiting from it. There is gun coming in. There's kidnapping happening, and people are being killed, and a lot of people are turning a, a you know, blind eye. So you're asking yourself, again, uh, something must be really is going terribly wrong there. Yeah, and, and why hasn't the U.N. stepped in? Why is, what about CARICOM, the regional economic group in the Caribbean? Why, why haven't they, any of these groups, why haven't they stepped up? Because I heard that Kenya was considering, all the way from Africa, Kenya was considering sending in troops to, 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 to quell the violence. So what have you heard? Well, what happened is um, Kenya, yes, uh, there, is, there was a delegation going to Miami Herald. Uh, that went to Haiti uh, last week, and that were it was a delegation of ten people that went there, but they did not uh, take a tour around the country because they were afraid. Um, they didn't go anywhere. They just went from the embassy, American embassy, to, the, to an to an airport, uh, to to a to a hotel near the airport. So they didn't go anywhere. Uh, there, what's happening, what came out of this, uh, it's, it's still unknown. But one thing is, is, is sure, what they did, they offered about a thousand uh, soldiers or police, police officers, if you will, to help uh, uh, help 
remedy this kind of this situation, which is not enough. Uh, and other states like Jamaica offered some police, but when you add all of these countries who lift their fingers, we still have not uh, reached 2,000 officers. Uh, to deal with this situation in Haiti, we need at least uh, real military, first of all, because they have big weapons, war weapons, machine guns, and we also need at least 10,000 people to deal with those guys uh, and, 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 and on the ground. So what's happening in there is still unknown. We're not sure what's happening. Uh, again, they go back to the economy. They go back to the economy. If the, the I guess, for me, the best way to deal with this, to deal with this, is to stop doing any business with Haiti, any business, anything that have to do transaction that has to do with money. If you stop that, whether someone is rich or poor, if you touch their money, they will uh, pay attention. So, because business is happening as usual, all the people are being killed on the other side, and some people got their business going on in and out of Haiti, and they're not being touched. So. Badum, the best for me, the best thing that would happen now is to uh, do some sort of, uh, I think we should, what should happen And, and hold that thought right there, Dr. Jude, because we got to take a short break here. We're going to take a first look okay. at the traffic and weather in different cities. When we come back, I want you to explore that more, because you're saying that uh, we should stop, stop doing business. But would that impact uh, the regular Haitians who have nothing to do with the violence as well? How, how would you respond to that? I'll let you talk about that after we check the traffic and weather in our different cities at 14 after the top of the hour. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Jude Azad, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010. WLB and the DMV were on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour, I guess this Haitian activist, Dr. Jude Azad, is giving us an update on what's going on in Haiti. Uh, the last we heard, the State Department requested or required or demanded that all Americans leave Haiti because the violence was uh, totally out of control. Before we left for the traffic and weather update, Dr. Jude was telling us that he thinks there's just some sort of an economic boycott of Haiti that might bring you know the, the, the lawlessness to an end. But Dr. Jew, as I mentioned, wouldn't that impact some of the, the, the regular folks in Haiti who are not involved in the violence? Wouldn't that impact them as well? So I'll let you respond to that. Yes, uh, yes, yes and no. Uh, how would it impact them? It would impact them. Uh, they're being impacted right now. They're being killed. Um, but, I, but I believe uh, if, you, if, if, they, if we can use the same... The invest this disinvestment act that were were used in South Africa uh, to do some somehow uh, get rid of apartheid movement uh, that 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 movement that should never that thing that should never existed and and without that the investment disinvestment act maybe that thing would have been still alive although it might be alive under the surface but up. No, face it's not there. Uh, I think the same act should be implemented and put in place in Haiti. Um, uh, and 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 by doing so, I believe it will it would not only uh, bring some sort of bring the some the actors, the traders of Haiti, uh, who happen not to be Haitian, mostly mostly uh, they are from Arab, um, the Arab descent, if you will, 
uh, they're not investing in Haiti anyway. Uh, so I think by cutting money, people will start, start to think. And, and again, if there is no wire money coming in, uh, the kidnapping will definitely uh, uh, come to, a, to an end. So, well, well, let me ask you this: Help us out here for, for the folks who are just waking up right now. At twenty-three out the top, yeah. How did this? How did we get to where we are now? When did this start? Was this back in the Duvalier regime, uh, Papa Doc or Baby Doc? When when did this all start? Start spiraling out of control. Well, well okay. So, uh, bringing guns to Haiti is nothing new. Uh, it's nothing new. Duvalier, after taking power, another firm to self-guide. Uh, his power created what you you know you, we both know as Tonton Makuts, and these Tonton Makuts they had Huzi. Hope we haven't lost Dr. Jude again, because uh, she was telling us about the Tonton Makuts. The Tonton Makuts it was enforcer. A military group or paramilitary group, if you will, that uh, the Valier, when he was president of, of Haiti, used to enforce the, his, his rules, and you know he ruled uh, over that country with an iron fist. But it still, it's still, it was manageable, and, and the Tanta Makuts kept people in, in check. There was his private group, army group, army police, whatever you want to call them, uh, group. And that's what uh, Dr. Jude was, was was just about telling us before we just lost him. So hopefully we're getting back and it explained. Because, you know, people looking on and wondering, how did this all start with Haiti? How did, how did Haiti get to where it was? And I think it's probably before the Duvaliers came in. Because you remember, Haiti was the first and probably the only black nation that got its independence from France. And just like some of the, we're going to hear with Brother Keeney joins us later, the Francophone countries on the African state, they're still paying, they still have to pay money to France, as small as France is. They, they still have to pay money to the French treasury. And when Haiti got its independence, they had to pay France. So I think that's probably where it started. But I'll let him tell us. Dr. Jude, I'll let you, I'm sorry we keep dropping your line, but I'll let you finish telling us how we got to where we are as far as all the violence in Haiti today. Well, yeah, the violence that didn't stop. So uh, with Duvalier ordering Uzi, now, but those Uzi were not Haitian-made either because Haiti don't make guns. They were from uh, Israel. So, uh, and they were all over the place, and every a lot of citizens have them, except for Duvalier had control over his, his, his uh, group of people that had that. They were there basically to uh, do surveillance and control and help the government uh, keep peace around the city. So, although they did some, you know, really serious crime themselves, but we get to this point uh, after, I mean, I believe this, the same practice, a lot of other administrations have followed the same practice. Um, and we had attaché at some point after uh, Duvalier left and, and those people were armed and they would make some coup at night. They would go to people's and they would uh, 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 pick up people They'll ask for ransom. Uh, we, uh, later, uh, during the years, in the early 90s, after um, President Aristide had, had, uh, received, uh, uh, were, were sent to exile, we had FRAP, uh, which is also another paramilitary group. Uh, so those, this is not new. The only thing new with this one is, is, the, is, the, is the constant killing of the people by the people and the burning of the people by the people, and the complete silence uh, and, and, and the blind eyes of a lot of actors, uh, uh, not only in Haiti, but also in the international community. That is uh, 
it's it's interesting to see how uh, we get to that point because we, that's where we are now. I don't know how else uh, we can um, uh, portray that. Well, well, let me jump in here and ask you this, Dr. Jude. Why why do you think the in, the international community has is, is, is remained basically silent? You mentioned that Jamaica want to send some police officers, Kenya sends them, but the rest of the, the world seems to just be looking the other way. Why is that? Um, well, because it's Haiti. Because it's Haiti. Uh, Haiti is the black ship. Haiti is the country that actually uh, uh, tell the world uh, that men are created equal and, and that every man is a man. And there is no such thing as a man is, 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 a, is, a, is a subject uh, or, or, or a BMW, if you will. There's no such thing as that. We are human beings and, and just like everybody else. Uh, we were born and, and we, we, we age and, and we, we, we deserve uh, to have a, a good life uh, and if, if given the, the opportunity. Uh, but Haiti have not been given an opportunity. Uh, as you know, we had to pay over $150 billion to, to France and America as well. We can't just say it's France because at the end of it, it was diverted. It was sent to America instead and Citibank actually took control of, of, the, of, the, of the Haiti uh, um, economy and until today, uh, there are people there uh, 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 that, that that deals with overseas the Haitian economy. So uh, Haiti did not become poor. Haiti was made poor, uh, clearly. Uh, so it, it and when you have poor people and 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 as you say, they, they, some people feel very proud to say, "This is look at this poor country." Uh, what they don't understand is is this country was was the pearl of the Caribbean at some point, the most the richest uh, uh, colony in the world, and that's because it's by by far it's uh, it's a land of uh, farm. It's 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 it, 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 when I was growing up, there, there was there was that saying that said uh, Haiti is mainly agricultural. So the land is still there. Haiti can produce as much as it used to. Uh, but all, the only thing Haiti needs is to remove these guns, give those people education, not this group, give education to young to kids that are growing up instead of guns, and, and allow the farmer to stay on the, on, the, on the farm and give them uh, opportunity to do farm and, and to export. And Haiti will take its shit back. Uh, because the land is still there. Oh, oh, so like we, we dropped again. So something's a problem with the phone lines. 30 minutes after the top there, we talked to Judas Artis explaining to us what's going on in Haiti. And one of the things I want to ask him, too, if part of the violence is, is uh, attributed to the fact that some people say they found oil reserves or off the coast of Haiti, and that might be why we see all this fighting people jockeying for a position to get first dibs on, on that oil. Because we know recently, honestly, recently, a few years ago, maybe a decade ago, the, 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 the Clinton administration, the Clinton Foundation was down there, and they took advantage of, of the situation down there because they used to make baseballs. Uh, all, all of the baseballs in the Major League Baseballs were, were basically made in Haiti. And somehow the Clinton administration got down there and was supposed to help, I think, after one of the earthquakes. And nothing, well, let's put it this way, nothing benefited the, the Haitian people, but they did benefit the, the Clintons. So this, that's another issue is, is the natural resources that are on that island. 
And if that's why all this violence is, uh, uh, is, is, is taking place, it, it sort of makes sense. If, if folks are trying to get in, the, in, in jogging position to get first dibs. Uh, Dr. Jude, my question was, uh, uh, I was going to ask you before we, we lost you, about the fact that somebody reported there was some oil or petroleum reserves that, that were found off the coast of, of, of Haiti. Do you think if that is the case, do you think that's why the, the violence is, is going on with people fighting and trying to get first dibs on, on, on possibly those oil reserves? Well, well there, 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 there have been a lot of speculation as to uh, whether Haiti has some natural resources and that a lot of and, 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 it, and they don't think Haiti deserves to be paid or given an opportunity to be respected as a, as a place like that. Or, you know, they might go even further. But as, as far as the possibility of, how, of those, and I, I remember uh, the, the former president, uh, John Benjamin Aristide, had a commission, and those people were actually going to that direction. And this gentleman uh, who actually got... Uh, Killed in an accident, uh, uh, and and subsequently the whole project stopped. And and you know what happened to to Aristide after that, because he was asking for reparation, uh, and he was overthrown and and sent to exile. However, this guy before he died, he said Haiti has mine, and then he says there are things in there that Haiti has in comparison to other country. Haiti is like an ocean. So. Uh, again, it, because, it still a, a speculation because we, are, we don't have anyone that actually explored that as we, as we speak. Uh, there is no science happening in Haiti. But one thing is for sure. Uh, one thing is for sure. There must be some deviation happening there because the people of Haiti, the Port-au-Prince, especially Port-au-Prince, cannot uh, be on the road, on the streets at night. They can barely go to the street in daytime. So if people go to do something and the average Haitian cannot go and take care of its occupation peacefully. So it's got to be something that being something is happening and for everyone to stay so quiet and let it happen. And it's like it's the, the dehumanization of this nation. Uh, so it, it doesn't make sense at this point. Uh, so something there must be something beneath the surface. Uh, there might be something beneath the surface. Uh, we can't confirm that there is something beneath the surface. Why is they giving, they're providing so much gun and killing and, 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 and carnage? And while at night no one can take care of the business? Uh, and when we know uh, that there are people that go into Haiti every day, people are going to Haiti while the diaspora, Haitian diaspora is reluctant uh, to go back to Haiti, either to invest or visit, other people are going in on a daily basis and coming out. So, right. And hold that thought right there, Dr. Jude. we got to take a quick break here. we got to find out the late, what's going on in the latest news, traffic and weather in our different cities. I'd like to expound on that because I, I understood that some of the airlines have canceled flights to, into Port-au-Prince, but it may, that may not be so. So I'll let you explain that as well. 26 minutes away from the top. They are discussing Haiti, folks. What's going on in Haiti? you got some questions or comments. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. Also in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL or information is power. 
And good morning again, family. 19 minutes away from the top of the hour with Dr. Jude Azad. Dr. Jude Azad, he's a Haitian activist. He's giving us a, some background on what's going on in Haiti today. As you know, last week, the State Department re- requested or demanded that all Americans leave Haiti because the violence has just gotten out of control, not just in Port-au-Prince, the capital, but all over the island. So he's t- we're trying to get, find out how it all started. You know, where, where, where's the genesis of, of this violence and uh, why so far no one has come in to step, step in to stop the violence? We'll get to back to him to mo- in a moment. And let him explain some more for us. But just want to remind you later this morning, Brother Keedy will be here. He's a, a multi-talented researcher, cook, uh, entertainer, the whole nine yards. Brother Keedy will uh, will explain how the global reset connects to the recent spate of coups in several Francophone African states. He's also going to talk about reparations and uh, making it practical. Before we get to Keedy, though, uh, Brother uh, Dr. Baruch will be here. You know him from E-Life Restaurant in Washington, D.C. He's going to, so for some of you who are going to partake in this celebrated Labor Day and Bob and that kind of stuff. He's going to have some alternative uh, eating items that you can eat, eat today. And later this week, chemitologist Tony Browder will be here along with uh, community activist Molly Bell, straight out of Compton, California. So if you're in the DMV, uh, make sure your radio is locked in tight on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL and also in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. This is where information is power. All right, Dr. Jude, I'm going to let you continue telling us what's going on, how this all started. I'll let you finish your thought. Go ahead. Well, yeah. So, um, as, as I said, uh, it didn't it didn't stop uh, it, after. Uh, I think we were talking about uh, the the gun how con- how guns get into the hands of average Haitian has been so much. How does Haiti become a nation of guns? Uh, well, yeah. It started off with with Duvalier again, uh, and again these gentlemen uh, and and President or former President uh, John Bertrand Aristide uh, got exiled, and, and you know more people. Uh, took I hold it. I thought right there about Aristide, Jean Bertrand Aristide. Why was he exiled? Well, I know that the State Department had a lot to do with it. I know Maxine Waters accompanied him on that flight to Africa. Can you tell what, what was the, what was that all about for some of the listeners who may not know? Well, the, Oliver uh, is, well, again, let me just backtrack a little bit to say that, because you mentioned the State Department, I'm going to backtrack a little bit to say also there's a group of Haiti, Haitian in Haiti uh, that seem to uh, have a problem with a black man in charge of Haiti. And if that black man don't do as they wish, they will get rid of that person. Simple as that. So they don't seem to believe that. Uh, they want to keep Haiti on its knee to see, to show that Haiti, uh, black people cannot direct, they cannot lead themselves. They have to get help and someone else have to do it for them, which is a fallacy. So anyways, the president, the former president that we mentioned uh, always had an agenda to, for masses, for people for poor people to help uh, better Haiti, make it, make it, take it to a different direction. Of course, he never had the chance to do it. But this time, this particular time, uh, again, he, the whole time he was in, he was trying to get reparation from France. That was the main focus of his administration. And while doing so, he was, uh, uh, removed from power and ex- subsequently exiled. 
but before we get to that, talking about guns, there were a gentleman trained in Dominican Republic, like he's now he was in jail, he's still in jail here in America from other reasons. But that gentleman uh, was, in, was in charge of taking Aristide out of power. He was marching to the Capitol and because he had a paramilitary group with him of over 500 people coming to the capital city. And at this point, uh, think, uh, according to um, history, uh, the former president sta- state, it stated that in order to avoid uh, bloodshed uh, and carnage in Port-au-Prince, he's going to leave. Now, this is how this is what took place in 2004, which also marked 200 years of Haitian of Haiti's uh, uh, independence from France. And again, as you know, we had to pay. Haiti had to pay over and to be impoverished and pushed to the curve. And so, the history of Haiti goes on. All right. Hold that thought right there, uh, Dr. Jude. Uh, 14 away from the top there. Joseph's calling us from Boston, has a question for you. Joseph's online too. Joseph, good morning. You're on with Dr. Jude. Dr. Jude, uh, good morning, Carl. Good morning to your guest. Um, what's your name again? What's, doc- what's your name? Oh, I'm Jude Azard. Yeah. Well, my name is Joseph. Well, it's obvious. And I've been fighting for Hades ever since I came to America as a kid. I had some very close friends. But I washed my hands from Haiti. I washed my hands from Jamaica. Similar thing. The, what Haiti needs, Aristide was the best thing for Haiti. He was going to take Haiti down the socialist world, which would have been a good thing. Because I live in Fort Lauderdale. I talk to a lot of Haitians. And the older Haitian is very, these people have grocery stores, big cleaners, in Fort Lauderdale. And these people, half of them will say, Papa Duck was good for Haiti. You know, you can make your money, do your thing. Crime was, it was safe, it was low. You just don't get involved in politics and you and you don't have to worry about. All right, there's, there's a, I'm going to show you what I'm getting at, and this is going to be the question. There's 130,000 Haitians in South Florida, and all of Florida is Haitians. There's 125,000 Haitians in New York and uh, in New Jersey area. Massachusetts has the third largest Haitian population. The thing with Haiti, Aristide is a guy real quick wrote a book, Confession of an Economical Hitman, and he talked about what, why they didn't want Aristide. Aristide was going to raise the minimum wage. The minimum wage in Haiti is $6 a day for 10 hours, and you have that job, you're good, you're lucky, you're considered lucky. He wanted to get rid of the ID card of the fine Mulatto, Mulatto or the black Haitians, but the International Corporation didn't want him to go that route because it will cause other Caribbean countries to raise their minimum wage. So is it the problem? In other words, Haiti have no resources. All that readmittance is coming from all over America. Haitians doing good in America. Why are Haiti poor? Why is something going on? And what's going on? The people cook the book, just like they cook the book of law. 
And that, that's where RSC was the best thing for Haiti. They kidnapped Haiti. They kidnapped RSC. They don't want Haiti to succeed because they were the first black Republican in, in the world. Well, I go on forever, but thanks for giving me my time, Carl. I want to hear what you got to say. Haiti need communism. It's the only thing going to work. Only 50% of the Haitian people can read or write. And they're brilliant Haitian. I went to school with them, I can tell you. With the world is changing, Niger, Burkina Faso, Mali, Chad, people wake up and realize these Western white men are schemers. They they make things sound good, they, like it's going to work, and it don't work. Right. Anyway, uh, let's give him a chance to respond. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Joseph. We gave him okay. a, 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 a chance to respond. Uh, Dr. Judy, uh, Joseph said that Aristide was the best thing for Haiti. And, and, and they, I guess the, the, the powers that be were concerned that if, if his model worked in Haiti, it, it would transfer to all the rest of the Caribbean countries would start to adopt in his model and do away with some sort of, uh, I guess, democratic socialism. I think that's where Joseph was going. Your, your thoughts? Well, um, I, I am I'm far removed from uh, anything that had to do with uh, communism. Uh, or uh, uh, thinking of Haiti, the state of Haiti, as a socialist. Uh, well, of course, it's going to look like that because the place, the people, the, as you say, the, the money, uh, the, 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 there's not much money there, there's not much resource. Uh, and, and therefore, it's kind of hard when, when, you, when a, a, a man like, like a, a former priest, like Jean-Bertrand Aristide, come to power and see, trying to, you know, turn things around and see. It kind of looked like um, uh, communism, but, I mean, or, or socialism. But uh, I would not go that direction. Why? Uh, and we're looking at other places like uh, Cuba. Uh, and, and again, that, that was the main reason of Duvalier being in power for so long. That was to avoid another Cuba in the area. Uh, well, well if, if if that is true, would that was it because Aristide uh, example would have sent a, a, an, an example to other Caribbean countries to turn that direction? Would it have been socialist? Uh, there must be some sort of social service established in Haiti, not socialism, but there must be some sort of social because the people, in order for you to take that route with them, there must be mass uh, edu- mass education. Uh, established because there is not many schools. Most of the schools are in Port-au-Prince. There must be some kind of uh, decentralization to the other side of the country. That might look like some sort of, uh, as the uh, listener uh, uh, suggests. But again, I am uh, removed from uh, any such idea because it doesn't work. It doesn't work, and I'm, we're looking at Cuba. Well, it doesn't work there. Um, Duvalier would have established something like that. Uh, if it if it if it worked, was a despot progressist? Was he progressive? He was not progressive. He was certainly a despot, but he wasn't a progressive because he did not establish much schools. He didn't do anything except for getting rich uh, for him and his family. Uh, of course, not. Duvalier was was the worst thing that ever happened to him. Uh, to me, that's my understanding. Uh, but as far as uh, Aristide himself, uh, we know what direction he wanted to take, and that is that he wanted to uh, help the people and also wanted to send Haiti to, to, 
to live up, up to its potential, uh, and, and that is to celebrate the 200 years of, of independence. And that was not uh, the dream. That was, that was going to be sort of um, a, a, a wrong example, if you will, to countries like France, who said that uh, you had to pay me for because I brought you here and now you're living large and I need money for that, meaning that they had to pay for, for, for slaves itself, not just the, the properties, but also the slaves that were considered uh, uh, properties. And Aristide have had put to me a way to say that also, that human beings, there's only one race on us, and that is human beings. The human race. There is no such thing as as people lower. Or, or is all there is is uh, maybe um, history or the way our mind is shaped. And uh, let's all right there, Dr. Jude. We're going to take another uh, short break here and, and get caught up on the traffic and weather. The folks are running out this morning. I'll let you finish your thought on the other side. And when we come back to also tell us how we can help what's going on in Haiti, because it's just heartbreaking just to watch what's going on and nobody's lifting a finger. Folks, you want to join this conversation? Reach out to Dr. Jude Azad. Be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. Hey, good morning again, family. Minute after the top of the hour, momentarily been joined by Dr. Baruch. You know him in Washington, D.C., all over the DMV, you know, from Eli Restaurant. And only does he make good food. He tells you why you should be eating good food. And I know today's Labor Day. Some of you are going to be celebrating, and Dr. Baruch's going to have some alternatives for you. But let's wrap up with Dr. Jude Azad, though. He's a Haitian activist telling us what's going on in Haiti. And it's just atrocious just to see what's going on. And nobody's, nobody's lifting a finger to help the Haitians. The poor Haitians there... They're just left for themselves, just chaos. I'm wondering, what the, what are they hoping? Well, the people who can make a difference are, are just sitting on their hands, and and, the re, and I'm wondering why. First, before you tell us how we can help, Dr. Jude, would it be a, would, would, would Haitians consider it a problem if Biden sent in troops there to, to, to quell the violence, or, or if France sent in troops, or some other foreign entity, or, or even you mentioned Jamaica sent some police and Kenya sent some other folks in to quell the violence? Would it make a difference who goes in to stop the violence? Well, it'll make sense um, to have um, Kenyan coming, uh, going over, uh, and, and, and to have people, people that look like Haitian uh, uh, underground. Uh, because, see, those people are armed. Um, they're armed, and they have real machine guns. So, uh, what 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 we want we don't want to to do is to send people to send just about uh, people that l- it looks like war uh, instead of of a peacekeeping. Uh, but when you send people, and that's why you know I, I believe what would be. What would be good is to, while all this is happening, is to train some some Haitians, train some Haitians among other you gotta send, uh, because the Haitians know the area, and and you would remove those people and train them and send them back in there. Uh, that would be it will take time, uh, both to investigate the corridors and to get in there and and make sure that we don't. I mean, although there might be victims. That I mean, uh, innocent victims, but at least you will target. You will know who you're looking for because we're looking. What we're talking about now is 
a bunch of kids. Uh, the, 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 the leaders are probably older, but the, the people, the actual perpetrators of these actions are people under 20. Uh, they are very young. So there will be blood if you send anyone in. Uh, but the last thing you want to do is to send people in just as they show off. And those people, gonna, they're going to end up hiding those guns and pretend that they were not. Then as soon as uh, everything fades and the people leave, the, 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 the police or military officials leave, and they start the game as usual. So that's what we want to avoid. That must be calculated. That must be calculated. And we're looking at, I mean, as, as I said previously last week, how these ca- cowards, I mean, guys, they, they, the, 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 the butchers, Slaughter those mainly women uh, it, it was uh, uh, that, that came to their town. But when you're asking yourself, what was the state of mind of that pastor either? I mean, also, what was that he was thinking when he tells the people to take Manchester and trying to go there and trying to raid off gangs with machine guns with Manchester? That doesn't work. It doesn't make sense to me, but they were slaughtered. Uh, by those people, and it's I, I grievously watch that, and it's sad. It's sad to watch. So something must be done. Something must be done, but it must be calculated. It must be done with intelligence, not just guns, but also intelligence. Yes, yeah, something has to be done because it's it's just heartbreaking to watch the people suffer like that, and and it's just utterly chaos. And seems unchecked, and nobody's in charge, and nobody doesn't have to do anything. You mentioned there are young people running around with with weapons. There's no school. There's no business. Everything's just it's just complete chaos. What's going on right now, especially well, in Port-au-Prince? Well, let alone I mean, this is the the average Haitian that being that being killed. As they say, there's a group of Haitian, and I have a. I have a feeling that, and I'm not the only one that thinks like that, that they actually sponsor, sponsoring those, those, those the gangs. Uh, they're, they, they're not being kidnapped. Their kids are not even in Haiti. The people that are being mistreated and, and, and killed and, 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 and slaughtered are the people, the average Haitian who cannot live. The rich people that, with money. Again, in a society, we need rich people. We need rich people. There is no society without rich people. But what is it they're doing with their money makes a big difference. Right. So how can we help, uh, Dr. Jude? How can people listening right now and, and see there's chaos? You don't know what, what to do when everybody's just sitting on their hands waiting on somebody else to do something, or at least just first have some peace, stop the, stop the violence in Haiti before people will, you can attract businesses and investors. So what, what's the next move? What do you suggest? We'd like to see some legislative influence in Haiti, and that is that can happen by this investment uh, act being implemented in Haiti. Stop the money, and the Black Caucus can. I mean, people, uh, the constituent can write and call their, their 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 elected officials and tell them to put that in place in Haiti. I mean, uh, Maxim orders, and 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 we need voices now. We need. All shop tens, your voice, and I appreciate you every second, and I, re- I appreciate you and I, 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 for what you do. I mean, shedding light on that, on this uh, uh, um, heinous movement, ha- movement happening there. But we need all the voice possible right now. Uh, the, all these prominent people that love people, who believe in people, because these are human beings just like any other nation. So 
we need every voice that we can now to call these elected officials and tell them to put that act into action. The same thing that they did in South Africa. It can work in Haiti if they block it, because these are people in there that's using their money to inv investing their money in the wrong place. They don't invest in sport. The kids should be playing sport. They're not playing sport. They're having guns. They should be in school. They're not. They should be building laboratory. They're not. Uh, they're not using the money for all those things. They're not even uh, investing in hospital. They're not investing right. in anything. But they're giving those people heavy machine guns, expensive right. guns, to kill the own. So, and this is unfair. Right. And, Dr. G, we got to let you go. Before we let you go, how can folks reach you? Do you have an email address uh, or, or that folks can get in, t in touch with you if they want more information? Absolutely. Uh, I can be reached at azarjude at gmail.com. And, of course, they can also speak with you, uh, my brother, uh, Carl Nelson, but it's azardjude at gmail.com. It's A-Z-A-R-D-Jude, J-U-D-E, at gmail.com. That's my email address. All right. And thank you, Dr. Jude, for, for keeping us, uh, you know, what's going on, because like I said, it, it's gotten no, it's not getting very much, any much coverage now. The only time it gets coverage is the last week, the State Department said all Americans should leave Haiti. And then again, right. then it went radio silence and nobody knows what's going on. So uh, thank you for periodically coming on the radio and telling us what's going on in Haiti. And hopefully we can make a change. Thank you. You've, you've started and, and I appreciate every bit of it. I appreciate you, brother. Haiti loves you. All right. All right. Thank you, sir. 800-450-7876. Uh, say good morning to Dr. Baruch. Dr. Baruch, welcome back to the program. Good morning. Good morning, brother Carl. You there? Yeah, I'm right here, uh, Dr. Baruch. I got to ask hey, you this, though, before we get into some of the items, you know, there's a, there's a discussion in, in Ward 8 in Washington, D.C. about the giant store would make, make clothes because... Uh, uh, supposedly all the shoplifting and certain items they've locked down as well in Ward 8. And that would mean, mean there would be no more uh, major supermarket after after you cross over the river on the Anacostia River in Washington, D.C. How does that make you feel? Because I'm just reading a story here from the L.A. Times. A Chinese grocery store has opened up in, in West L.A. The Chinese have got their own grocery store. Why don't we have our own grocery store? We've been here longer than, the, than them. Why don't we have our grocery stores? We shouldn't have to be dependent on giants threatening to, to close their doors on us in Ward 8? Why don't we have one in Ward 7? Why don't we have our black grocery stores? What are your thoughts about that? Well, Brother Carl, when you, when you take jobs or when you reduce people's likelihood of being able to generate uh, a reasonable income from, for themselves, then you find people, you know, take matters into their own hands and they're going to eat. And they're going to try to figure out how to make things happen for themselves. So in some of those instances where we're looking at in the lower income neighborhoods in the Washington, D.C. area or in any area, you're, you're finding that the people do what they can to get by. So when you sucked out the economy uh, in, in a community and people don't have resources, well, people do what they got to do. And unfortunately, it means that there will be people who 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 steal. And uh, we, we know that that's a reality. And we know that the, it's not, it's the unseen hand that is really at work here. Cause you would think that these people are just bad people. No, not all of these people are, are bad people. They, they, they're trying to feed their family and they don't have the resources to do so. And um, this becomes a lesser crime than going out and, and maybe selling, 
themselves or selling drugs or whatever in order to generate the money in order to be able to afford the food. So it's it's a it's a catch twenty two many times for them. You know, yeah, I get that. Are. But on, on the larger scale, help us out on the larger scale. You're in the food business. You know, the Hispanics, got, they got their grocery store chains. And now we see in, in L.A., uh, I just mentioned, a Chinese grocery store is opening in West L.A. It's not even Chinatown. It's going into West L.A., the wealthiest part of Los Angeles. They're at a beautiful uh, supermarket they're opening. Why can't we do the same? Why haven't we done that? That's, that's my question. You, you're in the food industry. Yeah. Explain to me why that ha- has not happened. It's it's probably for the the same reason. You know, we were talking. You you explained what's going on in in uh, Washington D.C. across the river, that uh, we we would have to open up a you know depending on our our the money that we are able to you know put together, we're going to need to open up a, a store in a lower income community just because we don't necessarily have the the uh, the resources to open up in another community and opening up in another community they already have grocery stores so if you want to if you want to put one in a space where the food need is there or the demand is there you go into the lower income community and then you got to deal with the lower income reality and it and it's tougher for us you know it's not one of the easiest businesses to do in uh, the the in the in the whole space of doing business not one of the easiest ones to do. It's uh, it's tough to get people to, you know, want to support your business when you're not carrying all of the things that you have at the major grocery store chains. So when you when you don't have those items, then people find it more convenient if they're going to get them. They find it more convenient to be able to go to one shop and get all the stuff that they need rather than coming to you where you might have, you know, a decent amount of items, but you don't have the width and breadth of what it is that you find at the major stores. So it's it's a challenge entering into that industry, knowing that your customer base is going to be uh, a customer base that is under attack, and, the, and therefore you're going to receive that attack as well. Does it mean we shouldn't do it? No, we should do it. We should do it. We, we definitely should. When I opened up my businesses, it was the same. I remember looking out the door or looking out the window. And hold that thought there, because, you know, that's where I was going to, you know, I was going to ask you to put your business hat on, the business, uh, in the food business now, because you've, you've expanded your stores. Uh, if that comes into consideration, where you're going to, the location where you're going to put your stores, because, you know, I know you want to serve our people, but you're also in business. If you're in business, you're in business to make money. So I'll let you attack that question when we get back. We've got to take a quick look at the traffic and weather for our folks on, on the streets this morning. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Baruch, you know, from eLife Restaurant in Washington, D.C. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. Thanks for waking up with us this morning on this Labor Day uh, morning, 21 minutes out of the top of the hour, I guess is Dr. Baruch. You know him from E-Life Restaurant. We're going to get into some of the foods that you can maybe substitute if, if you're really conscious about what you're eating. But before we do that, though, I want to get into the business, the food business. It is a business, you know, even though it's, it's one of these businesses, and Dr. Baruch knows this, you've got to be on point all the time. Every meal that you serve has to be on point because if, if it's not you, that person going to be disappointed. Not only will they not come back, they'll tell all their friends that the food wasn't good. So I applaud, and especially Dr. Baruch has had a, got a successful eatery in the DMV. But my question to you, uh, Dr. Baruch, before we left uh, for the traffic and weather update, 
when selecting, because you're expanding now, E-Life Restaurant, you're in Capitol Heights, and you're moving to another place as well. But when you decide to select, do you, do you look, do you scout out the area? Is it like kind of like buying a home where you go at night and see what, what, what the, the place is like or what potential customers? Explain that part of it. Because we mentioned earlier that Giant is considering closing its supermarket, the only one out across the river in Ward 8. So how do you do it? As, as, tell us about the business aspect of building out a, a, a food empire. Well, uh, I think that's a great question because a lot of people go into this without having uh, done the the work necessary. And I think it's it's good to get a broker and get somebody in between you and the and the decision that you're making because the broker is going to have a lot more experience and that he's going to have uh, he's going to know the right areas. He's going to know what the benefits are. He's going to be able to pull up on the internet as as well. You you could do the same. Pull up on the internet. What are the what are the statistics? What is the income? How many people? What's the distance they are from your location? What, where's your competitor? Um, you know what is the potential success? All of that can be uh, ascertained off the net nowadays, and uh, you pull that information down and you make a determination whether you've got a high. high I'd say another thing we have to be mindful of is what's the future. You know, is this a is this a zone where there's going to be considerable development? And if so, you know, then this might be a hot space to to be in. So there are a lot of variables that you want to check, and uh, there there's um, there's also benefit, there's support that many times the local governments will give you uh, to to be in business. So it's it's very important that we do that homework in advance. Otherwise, we're likely to spend a lot of money in a space that doesn't have even a chance of being successful. When you, when you're planning, when you're, when you're in your planning, do you look where, if it's close to the Metro, is that an issue as well? Or close to schools? Or is that, is that what some of the things you look for? Yeah, definitely location. Um, you you want to look at your, the, the houses in the area. You want to look at the mean income in the area. You want to look at the traffic coming down your street. You want to look at how close you are to mass transit. So Metro is definitely a big deal. You know, schools, I don't know whether that plays into this as, as much so, but uh, I'm sure at some level it does, you know, because if you've got schools, you've got people driving by. And if they're driving by, then chances are they might get hungry when they see your sign and want to grab something to eat. You know, and in the instance of my business, it's a little different that uh, people not only want to grab something to eat, they want to grab something to eat that's healthy. So it's a little different dynamic. And um, but as, as it relates, going back to the grocery store. It's it's a tough market, man. It's a very difficult market because it's it's the big box stores have come in and and that's where we're accustomed to going now. So we go to the bigger bigger stores to do business because we 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 think we're getting a better quality product. We think our price is is better. Of course, they're doing more marketing, so they're in our face more. They're in our our social media pages. They're they're marketing in newspapers and they're marketing on the media the TV medium and radio medium. But um, it's it's a tough market to get into because you, you have to literally redirect. People are going to grocery stores right now, and now you have to redirect them from those other grocery stores to yours. You have to give them a compelling reason to come to you. And sometimes being black-owned, it might work in the other direction. 
you know. So we we have to be careful with what we do in business to make sure that we're making smart decisions and that uh, we're preparing for success and we're doing all the work in preparation for success because um, some of us, again, just don't make the best decisions. We've got a great product, but our customer's not there. Or our customer's looking for something that is different than what it is that we have to offer, and it's been so long that they're going to tolerate coming in and doing business with you and not finding what they're looking for when, when they know they could go, you know, five miles away and get it. It's 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 just a tougher it's a tough industry, and that food industry has been monopolized. You talked about the one uh, business that's here. There's about three or four you know major chains that are in the D.C. area, and if you're not one of them, you know you're not doing as well. You know you you mentioned the Asians have opened up a spot in California. Well, the difference between the Asians and the African American is the Asians support their restaurants. They support their grocery stores. They're going to make a point of it to drive extra, go go further in order to support that business. We don't, Unfortunately, we don't have that luxury because of the conditioning and the indoctrination that has taken place in our community and the belief that, you know, the, uh, the other man's ice is colder than our ice, you know, and his, his produce is fresher than our produce. You know, so we have to fight through those stereotypes in order to be successful, and and other businesses are not are not having to do that. You know, there are people, and I'm thankful. I have customers in that space that are making the decision that no, 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 I will drive extra, I will go further, I will do business with you because I realize you philosophically are on the same page that I am. You look like I am, like like I do. You hire people that look like I do. And when I come into your business, it seems like you're wanting to create an environment that is, uh, that, is that is attractive and is, you know, it makes me want to be there. It's comfortable. And well said. 28 after the top, Al. Let's talk about the food business. Uh, is, uh, breakfast, what is breakfast for, for you for, for this morning? What are you going to have? Well, I, I go through a, a watermelon fast, so I'm I'm doing my watermelon fast right through here, and uh, and that's what it'll be. You you want to know what's lunch, breakfast, and dinner? You know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner is, is watermelon for me today. But typically, I would um, I would do a a breakfast that would be fruit. I'd have fresh fruit. I would uh, you know afterwards I would get broccoli and and uh, and. Maybe uh, some type of uh, a, a patty of sorts. You know, we we either will make them fresh ourselves, or we will, you know, purchase something that's out there. We've got a great relationship with the legendary everything legendary company, where we are uh, taking those the meat that they offer. This is all plant based meat, and uh, we will fashion it and and make it into either a sausage or into some other kind of uh, meat that we want in the morning. And uh, maybe we'll do a carbohydrate, but uh, these are, you know, they're simple meals. They're, you know, breakfast is a very important meal, but it doesn't have to be so elaborate that it's, you know, it, it kind of makes you not want to dive in. You know, it's it's a it's it's a simple meal. Otherwise, I might do uh, quinoa in the morning. 
is good. It's a high in protein. It's a it's a it's a grain that doesn't irritate people who have uh, gluten issues. Or and it, of course you don't have to do the quinoa with sugar. You can do the savory quinoa, and uh, you benefit from the nutrition across the board. I think that needs to be the target every time we sit down to eat a meal. It needs to be how nutritious it is, not how convenient it is, how much we like it, how good it tastes. You know all these other things that we've determined are important are not as important as how nutritious is that food. And having said that, uh, are you serving a breakfast yet, or, or is that something that's on, on the calendar coming up? Uh, we're not doing a breakfast yet. We do it on Sundays. We'll do a brunch on Sundays. But um, the other days out of the week, I, I don't know that we're going to branch out into that space. Everything, you know, when you're a small business, it's a little different. Um, Brother Carl, you know, when you have one person or, or maybe two, maybe two that are dedicated to a project and all of a sudden, you know, your whole business hinges on that one individual. It's not as it's, it, you know, expanding in that way is not as attractive as expanding kind of in your existing space where you have a, a core staff of maybe 20 people or 15, 10 people. Then you know that if somebody calls out, it's not going to derail the whole thing. You know, but you branch right. out and you start doing something new and different and you hire some specific people to focus in on that. And it can be it can be derailed on a daily basis based on, you know, how how they feel, you know, whether they're coming to work today, whether they're on vacation. And that's that's tough for small businesses. We don't have the. We don't have the bench, if you will, in order to call people up and, and fill in for those that are, are not working on a day-to-day -day basis. And so that keeps us, for me, that keeps me in a core space. I want to stay and make sure that my core business is is fulfilled and that we're doing that right and we're doing that consistently and before I go out and branch out and start doing something new. And when I do, I have to figure out how to incorporate it into what we're already doing so that it, it isn't just um, something that could that could not happen on a given day because this person didn't show up to work, which is very tough. I experience that now when there's certain things that certain people do and that's what they do and that's all they do. And when they don't show up, it doesn't get done. And that's that's a that's a tough piece. And how do you how do you resolve that? Well, you hire two or three people. Well, when you hire two or three people now, whatever it is you're offering is more expensive. You know, so it's 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 tough to do, but it's, it's definitely doable. The business of, of serving or selling food to our community is, is tough. Well, now you take that and, and you add a magnitude of difficulty that's pretty high when you say, I'm going to serve to the African-American community plant-based soul food. Well, the soul food makes it a little easier. But when you say plant-based, we're still, in our community, we still are, are turning our nose up at plant-based food as though that's, that's you know, it, it, it's not going to taste good. It's going to give me the runs. It's, uh, it's expensive. It's not convenient. You know, I'm not accustomed to it. You know, all of these things, you know, this this whole notion that I have to develop, you know, my taste buds, you know, I have to acquire a taste for what it is that you're offering. No, not, you know, we're the same people that eat chitlins and hog moths and, you know, pig, pig, whatever, anything we can off the pig. Now, you don't, you don't have to develop your, your, your acquire a taste for, for healthy food. You don't have to acquire a taste for any food. If you can eat the, the guts out of a pig, you, you're not, that's not where your struggle is. It's really in your mind.
Wow. Hold that thought right there. <laughs> Hold that thought right there, Doc. we got to take a short break. And when we come back, though, it's Labor Day. So folks are going to be out there on the grill. If you Let us know, if one, if your store is open. If two, if they if they want products, they, if they want to uh, try something different. You know, people, I hope our people are open-minded when it comes to just about anything. If, if they want to try some of the things that you're going to offer, how can they get them as well? Folks, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Baruch, reach out to us before you fire up that grill at 800 450 7876 will take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. McDonald's is not new to chicken, so maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy, juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you damaging as a microwave in fact all of us in in the you know in the hearing of my voice should unplug your microwave and put it in the basement and 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 i don't know you don't even want to sell something like that because we look up today and we see all of the harm that has been done as a result of our use of the microwave ovens it is it's beyond measure and it's overwhelming how many of us are suffering and, and are challenging our health daily by using microwave ovens? It, it really hurts my soul when I hear that people are warming up baby formula or warming up foods for their children inside of a microwave oven. Nothing that comes out of a microwave oven is healthy. I don't care how healthy it was on the front end. Nothing that comes out of a micro, nothing that has been nuked, nothing that has been, you know, they used to call these radar ranges. So nothing that comes out of a radar range is going to be nutritionally beneficial to you. So I would encourage you to really give consideration to removing that. If your air fryer is the upgrade and where you want to go, cool. However, um, yeah, there's no comparison between those two. I would I would definitely encourage you if 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 one if it's one over the other then definitely do the air fryer. Definitely. Gotcha. All right. Thank you, Dr. Baruch. At uh, 13 away from the top of the hour, Keenan's online too, calling from the ATL as well. Keenan, you're on with Dr. Baruch. Oh, Keenan hung up. All right. Another question I have for you. A tweeter has wanted to know when cooking, which which is better, electric or gas? Oh wow. That I don't know. I don't. I don't know that uh, there's one that is that produces uh, a cleaner or more or more healthy um, heat. I, I, that, that's a question that I don't have the answer to. Does it make yeah, a difference though? It's still heat though. Does it make a difference whether it's coming from an electric range or a, or a gas range? Yeah, I, I don't know. I would say it's it's producing heat, and that's what you want. But uh, I don't know that either one of those are dang, dangerous or harmful to to your health, you know, I, so I, I would not, I would not say one is better than the other. Maybe one is less expensive. Maybe natural gas might be a little uh, less expensive than the, uh, than the electric. However, I, I don't know which one would necessarily be seen as better. 
All right, 12 away from the top. Hour. Folks are getting ready now to celebrate Labor Day and getting ready to probably getting ready to put the, that food on the grill. Give us some example, you know, because, you know, ribs, chicken, you know, that that's going to be on the grill. What are some alternatives? Well, Brother Carla, the, the, um, the issue that I go back to is that food needs to be nutritious first. And if that's not what's first and primary on your mind, then you're likely to fall victim to the uh, eating what is the standard American diet, or worse, in our community, I call it the standard black American diet. And the standard black American diet just means there's more sugar, there's more salt, there's more oil, there's more frying, there's more artificial. It's just it's a whole nother level of, of, of attack against the health of the body when uh, we're consuming the standard black American diet. It tastes great. It makes you feel great. You know, as long as it's sitting on your tongue, but once it passes your tongue, then it's a toxin to the body and it's harming you. And it's the reason why on days like this, hospitals can anticipate the emergency room visits are going to go up considerably because somebody's going to have a heart attack. Somebody's going to have a stroke. Somebody's going to have a complication associated with diabetes, heart disease, and so on. But uh, some of the meals that we typically consume during this time, you know, we got... You know, we put soul in front of a lot of things. And again, putting soul in front of it many times means it's less healthy. Unfortunately, it's it's a word that has been uh, it's been hijacked. And uh, it's now it means that the food is less healthy. So you got your they got stuff like black folks coleslaw and and soul food or soulful baked beans. We got uh, the the. Uh, what do you call that? Uh, potato salad, and uh, they they got a black folk potato salad, which I guess doesn't have the raisins in it. You know, they've got um, uh, any number of I, I think of stuff like deviled eggs. You know, things that really taste good to your tongue, but aren't necessarily beneficial to your body. So the alternative t- to those are just that. It's the healthy alternative. So how would you then take um, take a, a fried chicken and make it healthy and make it plant-based is that first off, of course, you would start with plant-based and you wouldn't necessarily fry it. You might bake it and your ingredients would be cleaner. You know, your taste would still be there because we know how to, we know how to bring out the taste or, or season food, but um, it would, it would give you the same taste experience, the same texture. And we do that every day at Everlasting Life, the same taste and texture and uh, we give it a similar name so that you, you know what you're about to get yourself into. But um, across the board, we as a community of people have got to stop celebrating with uh, health-destructive uh, foods. It, 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 it's kind of counterintuitive. Why would you celebrate something that means that you've progressed with a food that is going to cause you to die sooner or get sick and, and, and live a life dependent upon pharmaceutical drugs and uh and still die sooner while i'm on that no, i just I was, wanted to add that we, we as a community we don't get old and die we get sick and die and that's that's pretty awful and we have to recognize how critical it is that we we change that paradigm and we have control you know a lot of us are why is it that you know better 
services aren't being made available to our community and there's not more health awareness and there's not more this, that, and the other. Well, we at some point have to take control. And we know that a healthy salad is more beneficial to us than uh, a burger, than a fried burger or some fried chicken. We know that. So we have to start making better decisions on behalf of ourselves so that we can take control and get better outcomes with regard to our health. All right, we're coming up on a break, but when we come back, though, I want you to explain to us, because you mentioned uh, potato salad. That's, that's a staple on the menu for today in many homes. If they have made it or purchased it from one of those big box stores, Dr. Baruch will uh, explain to us what we can use to, to make our own potato salad. And, and Dr. Baruch, you mentioned that you guys sell, you know, has the same texture and taste for the folks who feel they have to have uh, some ribs or some chicken. Maybe you can provide us with some alternatives. And if that doesn't work, let us know if eLife is open. If, if, if folks who just want to ditch the food that's not good for them, they can run over to your store and, and load up. So I'll let you talk about that when we get back. But we've got to take a quick look at the traffic and weather in our different cities. It's six minutes away from the top of the hour. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Dr. Baruch, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power. And good morning again, family. A minute after the top of the hour. It's Labor Day. It's going to be a hot day up and down the East Coast. There's a, there's a heat alerts in some cities. That's how hot it's going to be in the 90s, all the way down from, all the way down from Miami, all the way up to New York, New York City. So anyway, uh, I guess it's Dr. Baruch. And Dr. Baruch, some of you know him from the E-Life restaurant there. And if you're a vegetarian, you understand if you want a good place to get some vegetarian grub, that's a place to go. I asked him about uh, the potato salad, what you should eat, some alternatives. Before we do that, I got a tweet question from Louisiana for him. And Charles III is calling from the district. He's on line one. Charles, you're on with Dr. Baruch. Uh, thanks for taking my call, brother. And, uh, brother Baruch, uh, I frequent your Tacoma Parks uh, location, but I understand you made a business decision, so I've been coming out there. Uh, but my question is uh, to you, uh, I know there are things that are bad for us, but can you talk about food that is good for us also to eat? And also, can you tell if we can uh, drug our way to good health, meaning can we get on pharmaceuticals and get to the point where our health is improved? And if not, what are some of the alternatives? And I'll take your response out there. And thanks for the work you do, brother. And you too, Paul. Great. Thank you very much, Brother Charles. Yes, we're, we're, we're going to put our attention back into Coma Park. And as soon as we get finished with uh, opening up this location. It's, it's just taking so much of our resources and our time and our mental space to get this space opened that uh, we it was just a little heavy to try to do the two at the same time. And some people are saying, well, that's crazy. Why didn't you need the money, the revenue from that? Well, sometimes it's, you know, it's more than that. And um, so, yeah, we're coming back. We're coming back in Tacoma Park. I would say it's probably going to be October 1. It originally, it was going to be September 1, but that was when we were going to open up in uh, our new location in Capitol Heights. So we'll be opening back up in, in October. As it relates to uh, your uh, question about what are some of the good, healthy alternatives, well, I, w- I would say the eLife menu. I'd start you there. But otherwise, 
you know, your fruits, nuts, grains, and vegetables are a great place to start. You know, eating cleaner foods, eating foods that have been have not been processed. You know, we we suffer from illnesses that have been given names like high blood pressure and diabetes and heart disease and cancer. And all of those can be put into the same space. They can be called processed food disease because we eat too much processed food. We eat, we eat too much food that has ingredients in them that we don't we don't know what what it is. We can't pronounce it. And, and it's harming our body. It tastes great, but it's harming our body. So we need to stop eating so much processed foods and start eating more plant-based whole foods so that we don't find ourselves, you know, putting our, our, our health in peril behind giving our tongue a, a joyride. It's, uh, it's just, uh, again, it's counterintuitive. We, we have to understand that eating is for nutrition's sake. It, it has now become for pleasure's sake. And that's that's the wrong paradigm. And as it relates to your question about drugs and what drug can we take to uh, get ourselves into better health? Well, last time I checked, it was 250 million drugs that have been developed in the physician's desk reference that all medical doctors have on their desk. They open that up to see what they want to offer you for the illness that you have. And uh, out of those 250, there, there may be about a thousand of them that are really beneficial to you in helping you overcome your your current challenge. And most of those are going to be pain relief and uh, and and antibiotics. So those are the two categories where, yeah, the the modern medicine has won in those two spaces: pain relief and antibiotics. They can kill anything. You know, so those those two spaces where we would benefit. But I would I would throw the question back at you, although I'll answer it, is um, what drug is the body naturally deficient of? And it's none of them. So when you go to the doctor and your medical doctor says, well, it looks like you've uh, now contracted diabetes. You've now come down with high blood pressure. You're now suffering with heart disease. Well, it's not as a result of the heart of your body being deficient of the heart disease, high blood pressure, or diabetes medication. It's not. You know, it's as a result of again the processed foods that we've been consuming, the poor diet that we've been consuming. So when he offers you a drug, it's not because of the deficiency of that drug. Otherwise, we'd all be taking the drugs before we get the illness, so that we don't find ourselves with the illness. And I guarantee you, if I take high blood pressure, heart disease, and diabetes medication, and I don't have the illnesses, I'm going to have the illnesses. So the best possible outcome you can anticipate if you're taking pharmaceutical drugs for one of those illnesses is you're going to get sick, which means if you are sick and suffering with those illnesses and they offer you those drugs, you can anticipate you're not going to get better. Wait a minute. You're not going to become well as a whole. You're going to you're going to find yourself sick in some way, shape or form. There's no pharmaceutical drug that is being developed or has been developed that does not have a side effect. And uh, again, you know, you go to the natural alternatives and the natural alternatives don't have side effects. Many of the drugs that we're taking now have been derived from natural sources. 
And uh, if we would go back to the natural source, we would find we could get healthy and we could maintain our health a lot better. If we would change our diet, we wouldn't get sick in the first place. But when we do, there are natural alternatives, and that's the work that I do. I'm a naturopath, and I do health consultations so that I can support people on this journey to getting well without being dependent upon a pharmaceutical drug industry that makes money off of keeping people sick. All right, hold that thought right there. I got uh, Brother Keaty's on deck. Before we go to him, uh, uh, Brother Leroy sent a question for you. He says, good morning. Uh, where I come from, Louisiana promotes its food more than any other place, but has one of the worst ranking in o- obesity and health-related matters. The question is, does eating foods that cause heart disease, kidney, and other negative outcomes related to our food choices, and he says uh, Louisiana has a food festival almost every day. So what's, what's the answer for our, our brothers and sisters in Louisiana? Yeah, well, well, again, food has become a weapon. And I know I've come on and we've talked about that. We talked about the weaponization of, of the diet. The, the diet that is targeting our community has been weaponized against us. Brother Carl, you and I remember looking at a Soul Train video, and all of us were skinny as a rail. And we were jumping off the stage, and somebody was catching us. You know, nobody's jumping, and ain't nobody catching these days. We have we have become, like, it, it's become expected that our community is just going to be overweight. And you're going to be overweight, and now we've now redefined it as, you know, you're big-boned. So now you're, you know, I'm big-boned. That's why I look the way I look. And that's, no, 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 you're overweight, you're fat, you're obese, and you need to change your diet, and you need help. And we're here to support you. You know, we're not here to just, you know, throw rocks and, and, and make you feel bad and shame you. No, let's let's come let's come together, let's figure out a strategy to overcome this. Because your body does not naturally need to carry that much weight. You know, they, they, there's conversation about how how much you cut your life expectancy by the inches on your waist. You know, the more inches you've got on your waist, the shorter life span you're gonna lifespan you're gonna have. So there's a, there's a lot of conversation about that, and again, it's it's about us taking control. You know, you, America takes their diet to foreign countries, to underdeveloped countries, and all of a sudden, these underdeveloped countries where everybody was skinny as a rail, they're now fat. Well, it, it's it's a perfect example. You know, you can't dispute the evidence. They brought this bad for you food, and now we're suffering from the same illnesses that the folks in America suffer from, and it's because of the diet. Stop eating the diet, have discipline, have self-worth, love yourself enough to eat what is healthy, and change your outcome. Stop getting sick and dying, and let's start getting old and dying, or maybe just old. We ain't got to die. Before I let you go, though, Dr. Baruch, as I mentioned, it is Labor Day, so some folks want to get a better diet or have a better choice of food, and they don't know how to do it because they didn't what to select. Are any of your restaurants open today? How can they reach you? Yeah, the Capitol Heights location is open today. We're at 301-324-6900. Again, 301-324-6900. Or we're eliferestaurant.com. You can you can find out where we are, and uh, sure, you can grab some food. And there'll be people that come in, and they're, they're going to be getting a lot of food so that they can sit at the, at the family events, at the cookouts, and all the, the activities that are going on today and eat healthy food because they know what the deal is. 
and we'd be more than happy to serve them. So, again, uh, we're very thankful. And for those of you who have health challenges specific that you want to overcome, we do health consultations in person and over the phone. And you can dial the same number, except you'd want to hit my extension, which is extension 14. Again, 301-324-6900, extension 14. And uh, we're on social right, next media t- at, at eLife Restaurant on all the social media platforms. Yes, sir. Yeah, next time we'll talk about the health challenges. But again, that's a good idea. If you're going to a cookout and you know that the, the, the ribs and the chicken and that potato salad made with mayonnaise, all that stuff, yeah, you can stop by eLife. And, and would, would that be considered inappropriate if you bring your own food to a, a cookout, Dr. Baruch? Absolutely not. It happens every single event. People come by and grab a bunch of food and go because they don't want to eat food that's, that's going to poison them. Who wants to do that? That's not having a good time. That's not celebrating. You know, so, yeah, it happens every day. And we've been doing okay. it for the last 28 years. I just wanted to say before I get off the air, my, my brother Keedy's coming on. He's my favorite brother on the planet. He's going to teach us and he's going to uplift us and empower us. The brother's on fire, and I love him, and I appreciate the work that he's doing. I appreciate you, Brother Carl, and uh, I will be listening for sure. All right. Thanks, uh, Dr. Baruka. Folks, you're in the DMV. You could grab some of that grub today. So as he mentioned, I thought, just thought it might have been sort of in, inappropriate if you bought your own food. But Dr. Baruch says it's cool, so your folks won't feel bad. Grandma and Big Mama won't feel bad that you're not eating her food today. And, and you get in a conversation. You've been eating it all your life right now. But what you should do is give her some of Dr. Baruch's food. Let her taste it. And then, then let her hear the decision that she makes. But that's a good idea. Thank you, Dr. Baruch. Thank you. All right. 12 at peace. 12 at the top. Brother Keedy, good morning. Welcome back to the program. Greetings to you, my dear brother Carl. How are you doing today? We're black and we're shining, brother, as we usually do. We're black and we're shining. That's right. I always love hearing you say that, my brother. It is a prayer that binds you and my soul together, as it does bind so many of our souls together. Together. And I just want to just give, return that compliment to our dear brother, Dr. Baruch. He's one of the wisest men of a generation. You are very wise in having him on as often as you do, and we're all very fortunate that he's one of the intellectual leaders of our community, as well as an economic leader as well. And it sure is. And your, your phone is uh, again in, in and out. So we come up on a break. And when we, we come back from the break, though, see if we can fix that because we want to hear the full yeah, effect gonna... of what you're going to talk to us about. Because, we, you know, we, you, and if you want to talk about a little bit about food, because I know you're there as well when it comes to food. But we, we generally want to talk about what's going on in the global reset. You've been teaching us for, for years about this global reset, and it's finally here. And if you can connect the dots to the spate of coups in several of the Francophone African states, I'd appreciate it. And also we're going to talk about reparations because you you say that it's time now to make reparations practical. So as I mentioned, we got to step aside and get caught up on the traffic and weather in a different city. We'll be back with Brother Keedy. Folks, you got questions, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls for Brother Keedy in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power.
Good morning again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour, our guest is the multi-talented researcher, Brother Kiti Awadu. As you heard Kiti for years, Kiti has been telling us about there's going to be a global reset. It says Africa's rising. Africa's going to be where all the action is going to take place. But Brother Kiti, since 2020, there have been eight coups across Africa impacting Burkina Faso, Mali, Chad, Gabon, Guinea, Sudan, and Niger. And just this morning, uh, the, the military leader was sworn in as head of, of uh, head of state in Gabon. Actually, he's the first cousin of the, the ousted president that, that he replaced. What's going on with all these coups that are taking place? We're living in a time of very rapid global change. Africa is rising. We've been saying that. I have been saying it very deliberately since 2015 when I began a month-long study of the economics of the continent, combining that with demographic analysis, et cetera. We came to the conclusion that, uh, yeah, it is correct that this has been declared by the United Nations the African century. But as we realize, along all birth lines, whether it be the human baby or the birth of civilizations, quite often it can be a very disruptive and often violent events or set of events that take place during this giving birth process. So yes, the world is giving birth to an African century. Africa is rising. Yet we have to realize there have been nations that have empowered themselves for hundreds and hundreds of years based upon draining the natural resources, in human, including human capital from the African continent. And quite simply, they don't want to let go of the great advantage that they have in world economic development and competition and hegemony. They don't want to let go, but time is now caught up with them. So we're seeing this rebirth. There is some degree of chaos and violence and pain that accompanies the birth but on the other side of that birth, it is going to be well, well worth our investment should we choose to be part of this new global reality. All right. So I'm glad you mentioned that. that, that, that yeah, that, that leads to my next question, Brother Kitty. Uh, the question about economies, people, investors, they like, they like stability. They don't like the changes. They don't, especially the changes that so they, they, they seem seemingly to have no control. They, they sort of sit on their money whether they want to invest or not. Do you think all this upheaval, and these, especially on these Francophone uh, countries, do you think this is going to impact the, uh, for people who want to invest in Africa? Beyond question. No one wants to invest their money into war zones or potential war zones. Nobody wants to invest their monies into cities that have a, a high degree of chaos, uprisings, and you know street protesting and the occasional violence. This is why I have been pointing people to the East African community, which has stabilized itself. In fact, I hope people have been following attention that the Democratic Republic of the Congo, having suppressed the last of the major rebellious groups, the last militias, M23 in Eastern Congo, for months now, the Congo has been uh, enjoying the most peaceful part of the Congo since the earlier, earliest days of Joseph Mobutu, Sesi Seko, and that really co kind of coincides with the assassination of Patrice Lumumba. Now the Congo has become a member of the East African community, which consists of seven nations, Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Rwanda, Burundi, 
South Sudan and now the Democratic Republic of the Congo is a member. And one of the things, one of the first primary engagements the East African community, EAC, did was it created a regional force. It's called the EACRF. And the East African Community Regional Force went into Eastern Congo, and it showed down against M23, and finally were able to get them to settle down, to return to their camps, and await the peaceful transition of the Congo into its full potential. There's sub, such a dynamic involved in that, where it's anticipating that the EACRF, the regional force, will eventually settle the conflict in Somalia. Somalia and Ethiopia have petitioned to join the East African community, and it is anticipated that they both will be accepted, but they cannot be bringing in security crises into what has been Africa's most stable region. And there's another even more exciting point, Carl. You and I have talked about this before. By the year 2027, it was supposed to happen this year, but three years of the pandemic disrupted events. By 2027, the East African community is going to confederate, meaning these governments are going to join together in one federation and one confederation. The next stage after that is federation, meaning there will be states within one entity, and then they will be a, become a constitutional republic. This is one of the most exciting developments in history, as this will form a superpower state, Africa's first superpower state. 26 after the tough air just joining us. I guess is Brother Kitty giving us an update on what's going on in Africa, especially the Francophone countries. And, and having said that, what is the beef with France? All these, uh, all, and why now these uh, African states are rising up about uh, the, the policies of the French colonialism? First of all, we want to give full credit, visionary credit to this beloved sister, sister we have in our presence, Dr. Ericana. Chimburu Kwao, because she, as the, the African Union representative to the diaspora, she led these voices. And as you can recall, she was maybe three years ahead of everyone else saying the same thing she's saying. But because she was so early a voice of saying France must and needs to be expelled out of African affairs and African development, um, the French and others and their friends brought pressure on the African Union to dismiss her. Well, luckily, Dr. Ericana is still going. She's still doing remarkable things, and her voice is still incredibly visionary and strong. But now we see that more and more voices have come to the same thing, and that really has largely been a great factor in the fact that all of these coups have been taking place, except for Sudan, have been taking place in former French colonies, Francophone colonies. And among the many grievances against the French in Africa, probably the worst offense beyond their military presence there and the fact that they deem that they can just attack any group that they particularly want to attack. Supposedly, they're there to hold back Islamic jihadists, but in actuality, it's been quite different. But the French Central Bank maintains an inordinate amount, inordinate amount of control over the central banks of, I believe, some nine different African francophone nations. And quite simply, 
the hold over these resources and assets from African central banks put into the French central bank has kept France from degrading into a nation with a still significant population and economy, but more or less having the status of a Poland or Czechoslovakia rather than being a powerhouse nation. So France is holding on to that. It's become even more tricky, Carl, because remember, we're playing a chess in many ways against master chess. We're playing checkers against master chess players. United States has lost a lot of its hegemony over African resources and trade in recent years, and they want to get as much of that back as possible. And guess what they appear to be doing? Setting up France to take it away from France. Mm. Explain to the audience, too, the, the fact that France created this the, this, the monetary system in many of the uh, uh, former colonies, the CIFA. Have, is, yeah. is that something they're going to have to get rid of and, and start a new monetary system? Is this an, a, a, a good chance for them to do that or incorporate with some other African states? Yes. And that's a very important point. In the notes I sent, in the CIFA franc system, the African central banks have for decades been ob obliged to deposit a large portion of their foreign currency reserves into the French treasury. Those amounts represent double the amount of aid from France to sub-Saharan Africa. France essentially gives African countries back a fraction of those forced deposits as quote-unquote help or aid. But it's all changing. Now, the formation of a ECOWAS, Economic Community of West African States Currency, has been in place for several years. I've been excited when we get little glimpses of what this new ECOWAS currency would be. And it's pretty much uh, judged that it's going to be called the ECHO. And there have even been photographs of bills that we put out to be traded in the West African community. From my understanding, Nigeria and Ghana have pretty much been the lead states since they are, of course, the two, two of the major economies in the ECOWAS. Senegal and Cote d'Ivoire are also pretty significant economies. But, and, of course, Senegal and Cote d'Ivoire are both Francophone leftovers as well. So we can understand why Ghana, why Ghana and Nigeria have taken this lead to developing the ECHO as the new currency lingua of the ECOWAS community, a community of some, I believe, 15 different nations make up the economic community of West African states. And when it comes to confederation, federation, and union, it has been my assumption, and not, I'm not the only one, that ECOWAS would be the second of the five African regional economic communities that would federate and make one powerful block out of their nations. All right, 29 at the top. Oh, just joining us, I guess, is Brother Kitty. He's, Kitty's a, uh, we just call him a multi-tenant researcher. We're discussing Africa. We're going to talk about reparations later. But I don't talk about all these coups that are taking place. You say there's, there's, there's something in common that all the coup leaders have in connection with their training. Can you explain that for us? In nearly all of these African coup d'etats that have taken place, some 11 of them, I believe, since the beginning of the century, maybe 12 now with Gabon, the coup leaders have nearly always been in direct connection with training from U.S. special forces and war colleges. I mean, it goes 
constant right across the bat. And also another thing in common with these coups is that many times these are junior officers. In fact, the recent coup in Gabon, which took place just last week, these were senior military officers. As you mentioned, or I think as a news mission, I think I heard you mentioned that the coup leader was the cousin of the president, the imperial, the uh, dynastic family of uh, Cote d'Ivoire, of uh, Gabon. And this family had been in charge for since 1967. So they had way overstayed their stay. They had been quite corrupt. Normally, though, you find that the senior military officers are closer to the government heads than junior military officers. And has been the case in nearly all of the other coups, there have been junior military officers that have, officers that have overthrown the government. This is very significant because we understand that junior military officers are going to be closer to the people, to the grassroots, to the real needs of families and communities, which we can appreciate that. I'm not a fan of coup d'etats in Africa or anywhere else in the world, yet sometimes the coup d'etats do reflect a genuine need and or desire and thus are supported by the grassroots people, which ultimately I think all of us should be pulling for. All right, hold that thought right there, Brother Kitty. We'll take another quick break and check the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. When we come back, though, as you mentioned, junior officers. But I understand a lot of these coups are being fed by or led by young people. The younger generations are fed up. They don't like this how the system is set up, how the elders have set up the system, uh, kowtowing to France, and that's, that's why they're behind the, the change. So if you can expand on that, I'd appreciate it. Folks, as I mentioned, we've got news, traffic, and weather coming up in our different cities. We'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010. WOLB and the DMV were on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning again, family. 20 minutes away from the top AI. Thanks for getting up with us this morning. I guess this is Brother Keedy. Before we go back to Brother Keedy, let me just remind you coming up uh, later this week, you're going to hear from chemitologist Tony Browder, also community activist uh, Molly Bell, straight out of Compton, California, will join us. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio is locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Brother Keedy, before we left for the news, traffic, and weather update, we were discussing the fact that a lot, of the, a lot of the the coups behind the coups are young people. Like a lot of things in life, young people make the change because it's their future. Are you seeing this played out on the continent with all these coup d'etats? We are seeing it in a good, kind of repetitive pattern. As I mentioned, these are junior officers, uh, majors, and captains, as opposed to senior military officers, which would be generals and colonels. The senior military, again, traditionally will be more connected to the top of the government, and the junior officers will be have risen the ranks out of the people using the military as their vehicle for ascending in life. A very clear example of this, and one that I really had to kind of just stop and take a longer look, and I actually reversed my position, the interim leader following the second coup, in Burkina Faso, models himself after Thomas Sankara, the great ancestor of Thomas Sankara, another junior officer that staged a coup in what was then called Upper Volta by French colonizers. He and his government actually renamed the country Burkina Faso, um, which I believe, oh, I'm thinking of the translation, uh, deals with something like a great 
state or something like that. Perhaps someone else might have a little clearer idea of what that translates to. But it's a tradition that gives the people a great sense of pride in their heritage and their culture. And Thomas Sankara at that time became the youngest leader of an African nation. Thomas Sankara was eventually overthrown. One of his friends and associates betrayed him, and he was murdered, assassinated in a coup. And what was interesting before his death, because he had received a lot of opposition, he knew the French hated him, and it is absolutely believed that the French were behind the coup that assassinated Thomas Sankara. He predicted that upon his death, there would rise 10,000 others like himself that would redeem Burkina Faso and get it on its course of history. Interesting now, we have the current coup d'etat leader, interim leader of the country, Ibrahim Traore, who is now the youngest African head of state. And by all indicators, including his own words, he is a mirror image of Thomas Sankara that Sankara predicted would rise to rule the nation after his death. It's a, it's a very poignant moment. And so I advise people, if you're interested in Pan-African development and watching history in real time, do listen to the words of Ibrahim Traore. I think you will be inspired. And there is hope for Burkina Faso should it continue in this direction. I know one thing, the people of Burkina Faso truly, truly love him as their new leader. All right, 16 away from the top. Now let's, let's go over to Niger, because Niger has been in the news uh, recently. It seems like it's sort of a proxy of confrontation, if you will, <clears throat> between the United States is involved, France is involved, some other countries, uh, Russia's been involved. How do you see what's going on in Niger? On your and my social media page announcing the conversation we're having today, I posted up a link to an article that I found very, very useful. The name of that article from globalresearch.ca, a Canadian research group, is entitled, Niger's Military Junta is Supported by the Pentagon, Washington's Unspoken Objective, Remove France from Africa. And earlier I stated in the competition for global hegemony in the United States has been reduced in so many ways it's kind of like they're getting desperate. And so now they're scalping off of the French in almost the same manner they scalped off of the British colonial empire in the aftermath of World War II. The United States scalped off of that and inherited many of their uh, colonial uh, assets as well as uh, many of their problems. The United States attempted to scalp off the French colonial retreat in Southeast Asia, but that didn't seem to work so well at all. So according to this story, this remove France from Africa has been in play for some time. One of the U.S. bases in Niger is a strategically important drone base in the Agadez region known as Niger Air Base 201. Following, now this is excerpting from the article, following its permanent base in Djibouti, which is in the Horn of Africa, Niger Air Base 201 stands as the second largest U.S. base in Africa. So this not only ties into AFRICOM and what we understand and have known about AFRICOM for some time, but it also ties into what we have known about the, tw the August 2014 meeting between Barack Obama 
and African heads of state. That was the first USA African uh, heads of state conference. And of from that conference, there were three large initiatives that came out of it. Number one was called uh, the it was an, a push to allow U.S. pharmaceutical companies and manufacturing to go into Africa to take advantage of Africa's huge demographic dividend. All, most of the babies being born on this planet of the top 35 baby-producing countries, all of them except for Afghanistan and Yemen are in Africa. Number two of the agendas that came out of there was called Power Africa Initiative. It's expected there will be a $3 trillion investment in African energy development over the course of the next 27 years. And so the United States wanted to get a good piece of that, plus the development of renewable energies on Africa is expected to be the global frontier. And the third initiative was called the Security Governance Initiative, SGI. Interesting about the Security Governance Initiative, in certain ways it resembles AFRICOM, which was launched by the Department of Defense, the African Command Theater, but AFRICOM was getting a lot of resistance across the continent. Nations quite simply just did not want the Department of Defense stationing troops on their, on their countries, even though several did uh, acquiesce to it, including Niger. But in response to that, the U.S. State Department then takes a lead with a security governance initiative. And if we understand the structure of the government, the State Department includes central intelligence, USAID, and other forces. So it doesn't look so dangerous as having military forces deployed in your country. But it, you know, when it comes down to it, we know the record of the CIA in Africa over the many, many years since the days of Patrice Lumumba. There's a book I highly recommend on this topic. It's called Dirty Work to the CIA in Africa. It's very informative. All right. Uh, Twelve away from the top. Yeah, we we got to talk about Russia and Central African Republic. Progression. Uh, uh, Putin's well, well, the ones his friend and that turned his opponent and started the coup. Then all of a sudden he uh, is it died. Supposedly died. They don't even know for sure in a plane crash. But he, he was propping up the, the the leaders in the Central African Republic, and and they were paying him with gold, diamonds. They they had mortgaged the country's resources to keep themselves in power, and now they they're kind of upset about what's going on. Now the uh, Progression supposedly had died, and some people say he's not. He's still living. And some people say that, that uh, Putin took him out. I want to get your thoughts on all of that. What's going on? Is is that taking place a lot in Africa, where, where they're giving away the the, the minerals uh, to to remain in power? Like what's what's going on in Central African Republic? The reality is, for many many years, Africa's mineral wealth, natural resource wealth, has been its most prolific currency. And in the new configuration of the world, I actually write that the new era of uh, central bank digital currencies and uh, uh, national currencies that use uh, cryptocurrency that's based upon the national fiat currency of that country is that Africa's ability to monetize its new cryptocurrencies using the natural resources will be one of the greatest advantages helping Africa to become literally the richest part of the world. Democratic Republic of the Congo, if that were completed, would be the richest part of the world. So 
that is taking place. Unfortunately, what we have seen right now is kind of a piecemeal as this new era of fintech is coming into being, the old piecemeal era where African countries sold their commodities using the U.S. dollar, and then uh, other countries bought those commodities, quite often using the U.S. dollar. So the U.S. would get a little piece of every transaction because it's being done in U.S. currency, but inevitably the African countries were losing out. This is the whole era of the IMF and the World Bank domination over African countries' economies from the late 1960s, really through the early 1990s. That was accompanied by a lot of chaos. The valuation of African resources was given value in places like London and New York and faraway distant places. And they could judge at any given time whether your commodities are worth a lot of money or a little bit of money. And the African countries would have to kind of like dance like puppets to try and maintain their governmental budgets based upon the devaluation of their commodities and then the devaluation of their currencies, et cetera. It was absolute chaos, resulted in a systemic process for what we call structural adjustment programs, SAPs. And these SAPs would literally sap the, the life and the vitality of many African developmental governments. We got tricked by that over and over and over again. Later to see China come in offering development aid for exchange for natural resources. But in many ways, the Chinese experience has only shown to be just a little bit better than the experience with the IMF and the World Bank. Um, And many countries are now determining that the, the experience with Chinese financing development and infrastructure creation across Africa might be more risky than what we had thought, thinking that China was just our friends but um, things have changed. It's kind of complicated. I can explain further if anybody has any more questions, Carl. All right. We come up on a break. Uh, but when we come back, though, I want to find out your concerns about AI, artificial intelligence, the role that artificial intelligence will play in all these conflicts that are taking place on, on the continent. Are they aware of the AI uh, product that some of these uh, multinationals will use to control their uh, their resources? That's the question for you. And then we want to talk ab- about, of course, about reparations. And somebody tweeted a question for you about nutrition. So that's on the plate right now. We'll get to it after we come back from break, after we check the latest traffic and weather in our different cities. We're back in four minutes, though, at 7 away from the top of the hour with Brother Kitty right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. I guess this is Brother Kitty. Uh, we're talking about Africa and Africa rising as Brother Keith has been teaching us uh, for the last few years. Also, we're going to talk about uh, reparations momentarily, uh, about reparations. He says it's time for, to make it reparations practical. Before we do that, I got a tweet question for you. But Brother Keith, you, your your thoughts about what's going on in Africa, with especially the Central African Republic. I'll let you finish your, your response to that. With the Central African Republic, it's not looking good in the short run. We have seen the failure of nations due to instability and insecurity. 
with the CAR, one of the things uh, that has been at hand is that it is resource rich. Uh, it is a significant producer of oil and other commodities, not necessarily signal producers, but it has these reserves. We did see the Wagner Group, which is a Russian mercenary organization headed by Pretzigen, I believe is his name. You had spoken about him earlier and the fact that they have confirmed that he died in a plane crash. And so the Wagner Group, its future in Africa is kind of, let's say it's it's not firm right now what's going to be going on. There were thoughts that it would step into Mali, Chad, and or Niger on the side of holding back uh, imperialist forces uh, from gaining much more hegemony there. There is a competition. We have seen the rebirth of a Cold War since the beginning of the Biden administration. I don't think anyone can deny that at this particular point. Um, some people in the circle that I associate call him Cold War Joe. And bringing back this Cold War status is not good at all for the planet. We can see it spiraling out of control in Eastern Europe. And so far as CAR, I think that the main, the biggest chance for Central African Republic to move beyond its malaise and its crises is a strengthened African Union. The African Union is an organization that's intended to be the governance over or advisory governance, I guess we'd say at this stage, over 55 African nations. Yet its budget is very constrained. If we look at the African Union and its jurisdiction over 55 nations compared to the European Union with its jurisdiction over, I believe it's 17 nations or 27. I sometimes confuse NATO and the European Union, and I can understand why others would confuse what's the difference between NATO and the European Union. But the European Union, while having about a third as many nations to have jurisdiction over, has a budget that is 280 times the size of the African Union budget. Three times the number of countries, a budget one 280th as large as the African Union. Quite simply, that's going to have to be uh, resolved. I still contend, Carl, and we're about to approach another holiday shopping season. If African Americans captured for sovereign investing only 2 to 5%, of the monies we're going to spend during the 61 days of November and December, which last year amounted to $1 billion, $110 million a day for 61 days. If we captured just a portion of that and dedicated that to sovereign wealth investing, one of the things we could do to make ourselves rich is to triple the budget of the African Union through long-term, low-interest bonds. And so we could be major players in helping Africa come fully into its glory. And like China, like India, like Europe and other great nations or great configurations, our people around the diaspora will know the wealth of having these huge banking industries and support networks from our mother continent, just like other great populations know today. All right. Before we get into reparations, though, a tweet question for you. This is sort of a transition. A tweeter says, I am making the change to an all-planet, all-plant diet. Should I do it gradually? I want to start with breakfast. What should I eliminate first, the bread or the coffee? 
Well, I guess the operational word uh, question here would be what is gradually? Many times people change their diet radically because of a health crisis or a health emergency. Insofar as myself, I have been vegetarian to vegan now for almost 40 years. And I'm at the stage right now, if I find out something's bad for me, like when I discovered that coffee contained acrylamide, which is associated with cancer causation, I quit coffee immediately. So the best way to do it would be to, I would say, do three things. Number one, breakfast is a very important meal. I would start off breakfast not consuming any processed cereals and or dairy products. I would eliminate those immediately. Processed cereals, we're talking about Fruit Loops and sugar frosted flakes and all of that stuff. And of course, dairy is incompatible with 95% of black people on this planet do not produce a lactase enzyme after 36 months of age. So eating dairy literally keeps us in a constant state of inflammation. And of course, that weighs heavily on our long-term health and is associated with autoimmune disorders. So I would say start your day with a, a good early morning meal for me. And I generally don't eat until afternoon. I follow intermittent fasting. But a good early day meal for me would be to cut up some fruit. I like blueberries, strawberries, bananas, cut up peaches, or cut up apples even, melons, and then just put that into a bowl and sprinkle some granola, healthy granola. Watch the sugar content of granola. It can be quite awful, but healthy granola. I like the flaxseed, pumpkin seed granola. Sprinkle that over your fruit for give you some texture and crunch, as well as maybe some coconut flakes in there as well. Coconuts are superfood. That's a great way to start your day. You can prepare enough to last for three days, and the children absolutely love a breakfast like that. So that's a good way to start your day. Make sure you get good hydration early in the day. And then buy all of my books. I have three books now of living superfood recipes. My books will take you there in a very short period of time. All right. We'll get into your books before you leave. But let's move on to reparations. You said we have to make reparations practical. What do you mean by that? We have had 200 years now of conversations and dialogues about repairing ourselves, reparations. I authored a book called Reparations, Making Reparations Practical. And it has been, I'm proud to say, one of my better selling books since it came out in December 2016. So what we're talking about in making reparations practical, let's get away from the reparations rhetoric. Let's get away from petitioning others to do us right. In the book, I talk about Ken Bridges, praise be his eternal name. I know you knew Ken Bridges quite well, Carl. And Ken Bridges made the following statement. I completely agree. He said, we owe ourselves internal reparations. We don't have to ask anybody for it. We don't have to beg anybody for it. We don't have to plead to anybody to give it to us. We simply must do two things. We've got to love ourselves more and love our race more. And then we will look inside and do for self, as self-determined reparations. And in my book, The Repairing, I first laid out different stages, what are the nine foundations of reparations. And to the very best of my ability, Carl, and you know I've been doing this for some time, 
I try to make each of these reparations accomplishments as practical as possible using always Ken Bridges' imperative to do for self. Right. And Ken Bridge, of course, the founder of the Martin Network. But you mentioned the nine foundations of reparations. Can you break that down for us? What are the nine foundations of reparations? Very good. Very good. Um, first of all, you know, we have to uh, extract ourselves from this pit where we are constantly being trapped in almost like chasing our tail. So once we have come upon I talk about these nine foundations, and I'm just pulling to that page 24 of the book. These nine foundations for reparations include, number one, compensation for stolen labor. Number two, land recovery and development. Number three, family and community. Number four, repairing our economic development. Number five, education. Number six, revising our historical perspective. Number seven, transnational relations. Number eight, repairing our health status. And number nine, dealing with crime and justice, especially so we can free up our childbearing age youth to form families as opposed to wasting years of their lives locked away in cages, which actually depletes the nation out of the labor that would keep America great. You know, when we talk about reparations, we talk about reparations here uh, in the Caribbean, South America, you know, in the diaspora. What about the African nations who lost it? There was a sort of a brain drain. That's why some of the, uh, uh, when you look at all the, the things that we invented on this side of the Atlantic Ocean, and if we all came from Africa, they could have been invented there. So does, does, mm-hmm. are, they, are they in line for reparations as well? How do you see that? I see that is an absolute imperative. I'm very, very glad you asked that question, Carl. It's a very important question. And that the African nations have been repairing themselves since 1987. One of the main things that the transatlantic enslavement did, and remember it was preceded by the Arabic enslavement, is that the transatlantic enslavement combined with the Arabic enslavement removed 600 million people, young people from Africa's development and Africa's future over that time period. And Africa lagged far behind other regions of the world insofar as natural demographic growth. It wasn't until 1987, Carl, that Africa recovered those 600 million people, that the population kind of leveled out. It wasn't until 1987. Now, since 1987, Africa is enjoying the demographic dividend, the greatest bonus of babies born, the richest, uh, the youngest nations on the planet. I mentioned this earlier. Of the 35 youngest nations on the planet, all but two of them are African nations, and one, Yemen, one might also just look at as an African colony on the Arabian Peninsula. And so the youngest Nation in the world, Carl, is in the headlines. That's Niger. That's where the coup d'etat is taking place. That's where there's manipulation by France, the United States, Islamic jihadists. It's all taking place in Niger. That's the youngest nation in the world. The second youngest nation in the world is Uganda. I have quite a bit of fondness and interest in Uganda. What is interesting is look at the 
current development pathways in GDP growth in Niger and Uganda, and they represent almost polar opposites of each other. Uganda is going through a magnificent time of self-development and growth and GDP growth and stability and infrastructure creation, while Niger, which had been under the influence of first the French and now the United States, is going just the opposite way. So we can see demographics, large numbers of babies born in high population growth rates creates a dynamic. But if that dynamic is not managed properly, it goes the wrong direction. It can hurt your country. If it is managed properly, and I'm going to give credit to His Excellency, the President of the Republic of Uganda, Yoweri Museveni, has done a wonderful job of managing the demographics for the Ugandan people's benefit. All right, right there. 14 after the top hour. We're going to take a quick break and check the traffic and weather again for our folks out on the streets. But when we come back, though, Dr. Wimbush, Ray Wimbush was here last week. He says we need to set up a reparations think tank. I want to get to your thoughts about that. Folks, you want to join this conversation with Brother Keedy? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Good morning again, family. 21 minutes after the top there with our guest, our Brother Kitty. Brother Kitty is a multi-talented researcher. And right now we're talking about uh, reparations. He says we we should look at it practically. And my question to him before we left is Dr. Ray Wimbush was here last week. And Dr. Wimbush said we need to set up a, a reparations think tank so we can just thrash out all the ideas about reparations before we go out and, and start discussing it. Uh, to the other folks. So, Brother Keaton, your thoughts about that? Do we need a think tank to, to uh, you know, to, to really get delve into some of these different issues about reparations? That's a paradoxical question for me. Uh, yes, we do. No, we don't. Dr. Ray Winbush has produced one of the more significant books on reparations. It should be read by every community member, every community leader must read Dr. Ray Winbush's book, as well as Randall Robinson's. Is it Randall Robinson? Uh, the one who recently passed his book, The Debt, needs to be. And I think that my book, The Repairing, needs to be on the list of all these scholars. I can understand his call for a think tank. I'm cautious about anything else that will delay the action. Now, if the think tank is fully funded, so that the think tank can then direct actions, very specific actions that would be essentially entail social engineering the society that we want to live in, then, yeah, I'm all for it. But if we want to create another conversational group, which many times think tanks and masterminds cannot surpass that, that is not funded, then we're not necessarily solving our problem by gathering a bunch of highly articulated voices together and having them argue when in the outcome, nothing will be done with what they've decided. So I'm, I'm, if there were an, a reparations think tank, I would truly fully support it and would invite myself to become a member of it. Anytime I could work alongside people like Dr. Ray Winbush would be a great advantage, I believe, not just for ourselves, but for the entire community. But anything less than direct investment into our best well-being 
It's just a delay of time. Carl, one area in the book I point out is reparations. African-Americans, when I wrote the book in December 2016, spend annually $94.1 billion on full-service supermarkets. At that time, there was only one out of over 211 full-service supermarkets in America. Only one was owned by black people. That was Calhoun's out of Montgomery, Alabama. At the time, they had, I think, five stores. No, they had three stores. Six months after the book comes out, they had closed a third to the last store, disqualifying being, from being qualified to be called a full-service supermarket. Later that year, um, the founder, Greg Calhoun, died at age 66. And at that time, Hispanics owned 23 full-service supermarkets in America. Later, I wrote the book called Fade to Black, Passing of a Great Race, and I readdressed these statistics in Fade to Black, when I wrote Fade to Black, African-Americans had zero full-service supermarkets, while Hispanic Americans had grown from 23 to 37. Someone corrected me a few months later and said, blacks, not African-Americans, blacks in America own a grocery store chain, and it was owned by Nigerians. But unfortunately, there's been far too little economic interface between Nigerians and, and American-born blacks. And so, therefore, we don't necessarily get a chance to take advantage of the only black-owned grocery store in America serving Nigerian people. 25 at the top of the hour. Uh, i got to ask you about, you know, the need for our people to access uh, our assets and, and uh, liabilities. Mm-hmm. I, I'm constantly asking this question of people. Some of us come off very pessimistic. Some of us come off very optimistic, but we all should be able to answer basic questions about our collective group. What are our primary assets? What are our primary liabilities? If we go under the liabilities catalog, we can say things like, you know, we have a disproportionately unhealthy population, and we do know that medical bankruptcy is the number one, or medical expenses are the number one source of bankruptcy to the average household in this country. So, you know, we have a vast set of assets. And when I ask this question of people, quite simply, they can't necessarily precisely answer this question. Just under assets, just a few points. I have maybe 20 points, about 15 points on assets that we possess. Number one, our people have a vast treasury of skills, capacity, assets, and talents. Two, we have created a glorious historical record of accomplishment throughout the entirety of human civilization. Now, I'm not talking about 1619 human civilization. I'm talking about since the dawn of human civilization. Number three, our people consistently demonstrate deep spiritual and moral values as well as being generous and empathetic. And lastly, we have accumulated a large base of businesses, material assets, wealth-producing industries, real estate, and other hard assets. Quite simply, people, when I ask them that question, they can't be as specific as I'm trying to be in this book, The Repairing. And on the liabilities, we have a tremendous burden of personal and household debt. We have the crises of the black family with the two-parent household model, raising children together, and two incomes from the parents. That model is escaped from us. You know, 
people will have children, they break up, they separate. Now we have two households with two sets of utilities and all of that. We're gutting ourselves by not doing the things that we can do that our grandparents and great-grandparents habitually did. There's so many things that we now have as liabilities. And as we weigh them all, our liabilities are overwhelming our assets. We've got to change our evil ways. Would you say at 27 at the top, yeah, the one, and we get to Christian in a moment, he's calling from Malibu, but would you say that one of our major liabilities is the fact that we can't get it together, we can't stay on code as Neely Fuller say, says, we, we, can't, we won't support each other? Is, wouldn't you say that was one of the major? Because even if we build a supermarket or we did anything, we can't guarantee that our people would support us. Would, wouldn't you consider that guarantee. one of the biggest liabilities? We can guarantee our people will support us, but we got to do it the right way. We got to be smart enough to have a plan that has, that compels our people to support us. I understand what um, Neely Fuller discusses and discourses, but I'm on a different track. I am a scientific futurist, and as a scientific futurist, I have to be very precise about what can and cannot be done. He is right about the governance that we have in place. This governance we have in place has been in place since 1975. It's generally not changed its trend or its tack. And since 1975, and I document this in the book, Fade to Black, we have been failing as a people all across the board. Carl, I talk about the six pillars of empire. And when I go through the six pillars of empire, which first appeared in this book, The Repairing, now it's in every book on economics I write. When we talk about the six pillars of empire, blacks are losing it all, six of them. Number one, demographics, we're losing. Number two, the ability to create products and services from available natural resources, we're not doing that. Number three, the ability to provide for our own group's consumption. No, we are not. For every $8 African-Americans spend, our businesses only produce $1 of goods and services. That's a recipe for catastrophe. Number four, we would thus need to produce surplus to sell outside of our group to bring in wealth to the group. That's not happening. Number five, our ability to expand our land and territory to include the expanding population and industries. That's not happening. And number six, educate our children to inherit, expand, and protect the grand enterprise for hundreds of years in the future. It's not happening. So, I understand those who are pessimistic, but the thing about it is, is I write the solutions to all of these. I put in practical solutions to all of these, but they're generally overlooked and or ignored. All right. 30 minutes after the top of that, as I mentioned, we've got some folks who want to talk to you, Brother Keedy. Christian's up first. He's calling from Malibu. Christian, good morning. You're on with Brother Keedy. Good morning, uh, Brother Keating and uh, Carl Nelson. And I want to talk about this reparations because I was a participant in the L.A. Uh, uh, contention they had here in May at the Afro-American Museum by the Coliseum. And uh, they had about 423 people. It lasted about five hours. I left, I left about two and a half hours. But what it was, it was about 99% black. And uh, the people were speaking directly to the black agenda. We're not going to give any money to the climate change. We're not going to give money to the school lunches. This is all to be for black people. And it was so uh, responsive that the panel that was representing uh, L.A. City 
they couldn't deal with it. So there was no second meeting in person. Uh, they were sending out Zoom uh, messages and uh, inquiries, which means they smothered the project. It's just like up in uh, San Francisco with Gavin Newsom. He had selected a committee, his appointees on the committee, and they gave him their findings, which was far above what he was wanting. So he, he canceled the, uh, uh, whatever they, you call it, um, he didn't go through with it. Nobody's got any money. They ain't talking about it. It's gone. So he was just using that reparations as a ploy to get votes. So what we have to do, we have to vote him out. He's not real. And, and as far as Ray Wimbush talking about, we need uh, a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A, 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 think a tank. Focus group. What's the word? A what? A think tank or mastermind group. Yeah, we don't need that. They have reparations materials from 1872. You know these books. There's about eight good books with findings of actual numbers, what we can do. So what it is is like in California, it's dead. And you you get these people out the way, like Newsom and all them, you get them out the way. They're blocking us. And and, and we don't need a think tank. They're smothering us. We have all the information already. This is what we have to do. Go ahead, Keating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you make, uh, Christian. No way. Before, before uh, brother Keith, because we're coming up on a break. But, but Christian, I want you to tell us what we should do. You, you said everything that's, that's wrong. And you know us. We like to stick on solutions. So I want to hear what your solutions are. But we're coming up on a break real soon. When we come back, I'll let you tell us our solutions. Because we all get a point at what it was something. If somebody's not doing what's not right, but what would you do? What's your solution? Uh, we'd love to hear it. And then we'll get from Brother Keaton and Brother Hakeem. Baltimore has a question for you. Folks, you too can join this conversation about reparations with Brother Keaton. Reach out to us at 800-450-7876 at 27 away from the top of the hour. We'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And good morning again, family. 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with Brother Katie. Uh, we get back to you in a moment. Let me just remind you, coming up on that, later this week, you're going to hear from chemitologist Tony Browder, also community actress Molly Bell, straight out of Compton, California, will join us right here on 1010 WOLB in Baltimore and in the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Before we left for the news, uh, traffic and weather update, we're speaking with Christian calling from Malibu, and he, he says, uh, you know, disposed of all the the ideas that came up for reparations. So, Christian, I use your shot. You had time to think about it. What should we do? You dis- dislike the, the ideas that uh, what happened at the two meetings in L.A. and San Francisco and also the think tank. So what is your better offer to help us get reparations? Go. Take, take the initial findings that you submitted to governor and you run with it. As a matter of fact, you go back and revise it and everything that was in there, you double it like on the land, on the money, okay? 
And so what that means is that you've done the work. It's already there. We have all, all kind of uh, books and resources that you already know. We don't need another think tank. Let me tell you what the first uh, paragraph of the uh, Declaration of Independence. This is uh, July 4, 1776. It says, uh, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to separation. In other words, the 13 colonies separated from England, and then anybody who was in this country was considered equal. So what happens is you can start there, 1776, you probably can start before, go back to 1619, whatever you want to do, but you start collecting interest, you start collecting land. And the thing about it is, is those recommendations that you first gave Newsom, you you go with them and you double them, and then you have a, a, a protocol. We don't get Newsom out of here. All those people on that committee that he hand-selected, he picked, submitted the findings that he, he vetoed, you get him out of here. That's what you do. People that you All are right. in your way, you get Let's give Brother Keedy a chance to respond, because uh, we're trying to stay away from the political, but you, again, we're asking your better idea, and you're talking about building on what Newsom did, but you still want to get rid of him. We listen cleanly, Christian, but thank you for your call. Brother Keedy, your thoughts on what he said. You know, I like... Christian's attitude, and I understand we got to do something radically different. But unfortunately, Carl, as you mentioned, he went right back into the political arena where a big nothing sandwich is being fed to us decade after decade. Stop it, stop it, stop it, everybody. I'm very, very specific about what we can and what we should do. First of all, I'm going to limit this to three, but I actually have a list of 15 very specifics right here in front of me. I'll give you an idea. This will give you an idea of how I'm thinking when I say make it practical. Number one, everything we need to do to repair ourselves will require capital investment. We can create a privately issued equity bond, an interest-bearing instrument, to capture our spending bubbles. We're coming up on another holiday shopping season. Last year, the holiday shopping season, 61 days of November and December, African-Americans spent above our yearly average $1,110,000,000 a day for 61 days in a row. We had no mechanism set up to capture any of that. When I was a child, our father would buy us saving bonds for Christmas. And that he saved money, giving us a practical gift that learned that taught us how to value investing. An equity bond could be literally labeled a reparations bond. And from the issuance of an equity bond and a capture of billions of dollars, we could then start to strategically invest. Point number two, I have this book out, The Blackest Soil. Africa can feed the world and Africa can feed itself. We need to, as African people in America, begin to feed ourselves. We're not going to be able to do that just growing food on the still shrinking rural real estate that we own in this country. We're going to have to establish the entire 10-point food value chain. And it's a very detailed, but from seed acquisition to retail, uh, farmers markets, and direct-to-consumer purchasing, there is a 10-point set of strategies that are involved in the food value chain. Point number three, being very specific, we need to develop 
our nation within the nation's health care infrastructure and health and wellness programs to a spectacular state. Just on health care alone, we can begin to save maybe half, maybe the majority of over $84 billion a year that comes out of pocket spent by our people for being the sickest people within this nation. So those are just three of the ideas. I overlapped them just slightly, but that we could do with a very, very specific list of actions we can do. And Carl, none of them require the approval of political parties. Yeah, I, I, it was interesting. He, he was deriding Newsom at the same time. He wants to build on what Newsom <laughs> did. You can't have it both ways. You've got to be straight, folks. People can understand. They can see through that. 15 away from the top of the hour. Let's go to Brother Haki calling from Baltimore. He's on line three. Yeah, and you want to say something, Brother Keating? When Christian first came on, I, I was hoping, 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 and don't hope planned. But I was hoping he would take this in a different direction. But as you said, he kind of went right back there. Christian, get my book, The Repairing. Let's talk. All right. Brother Haki, as I mentioned, is waiting for us on line three, calling from Baltimore. Brother Haki, good morning. You're on with Brother Keedy. Yes, it's always good to hear you, Brother Keedy. Always have some wisdom, and I see you putting out more and more solid books. So that's that's a great thing. So I'll be working hard this year. Um I wanted to, so, well, first, I, you know, I know you do a significant amount of work in uh, Uganda. Are you familiar with Professor or Dr. Maxine Ankara? I don't recognize that name. Okay, okay, just really quick. She's one of the longest uh, living expats living in Uganda. I believe she, she, well, she actually has a Ugandan uh, citizenship. She will actually be, you know, coming to the United States again. Um, you know, um, next, this this month. Um, but I wanted my, my question, and I want to make a comment as well. My question, when, when you talk about uh, President Museveni, um, and I, was he like the chair of the African Union rather recently, or he had some role? Uh, I saw him speaking a few times, but, uh, but you know, he wasn't necessarily, um, well, when they had the U.S.-Africa Summit here, uh, last year, 2022, they, you know, of course, they excluded a few countries and there was a debate about whether he, you know, should be allowed to come because of certain uh, things that are going on in Uganda, you know, accusing them of human rights and, civil, you know, political uh, disenfranchisement, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, I just, you know, wanted to mention that. And, and if uh, you could put that in the context of, I mean, you know, even his role in the African Union and the role of African Union in ECOWAS. And next question, I'll close. Um, uh, you mentioned Dr. Ankara. Just a heads up, it would be a good time for you to make your East Coast uh, trip, uh, Brother Keedy, because uh, 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 PLO Lumumba and Dr. Ankara, Arakana, I'm sorry, um, Chiron, uh, will be at Howard University on the 28th and 29th. Well, I know for sure on the 29th. Uh, but I believe PLO may be just there on the 29th. I'm not sure. But, but you know, be a perfect time. I, I sincerely, um, you know, I, I always encourage uh, some of our African brothers to read and listen to your work. But, you know, it will be good to, to see you uh, present as well there and hear your wisdom around that time. Uh, it may be a lot of different Africans who are influenced by them who really need to hear your work. So that's all I want to say. Thank you and always support your work. Thank you. 
Okay. And one thing you had mentioned about uh, Museveni, and I think you put Echo Was in the same sentence. Museveni is the old man, and that's a that's a, a term of endearment. He's the old man of the East African community. Echo Was is the economic community of West African states. And I'm a big fan of His Excellency President Yoweri Museveni. Some people have criticized him. The whole issue of Bobby Wine came up when he wanted to to compete against with 70 for the presidency of Uganda. And it was, it was really a no contest except for the U S propaganda machine did everything it could to make Bobby wine more, much, much more than what Bobby wine had actually accomplished in his life. So, you know, we salute the young people and their ambitions, but, you know, be careful criticizing the elders. If you haven't done anything, even in the same class, as the elders have done. And Museveni has an incredible record of progress for Uganda since he has been. He was two times a coup leader himself and then elected after they returned the government to civilian rule in 1986. He's been elected, I think, every election since then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you mentioned every, every, every year since uh, then. 10 away from the top. And you mentioned Bobby Wine, and he has increased his profile. Uh, immensely since the for, for the last election when he ran and he's he's given up and he's and continued to increase his profile and people outside of Uganda are watching him not the not the folks that just know him from the entertainment business on the continent but people in Europe and, and stateside are watching Bobby Wine and do you think that they they will uh, provide him with with the the resources that he needs to mount a, a credible campaign the next time around? He doesn't need a campaign, Carl. He's already a minister of parliament. I asked these people who are Bobby Wine supporters, name Bobby Wine's greatest accomplishment as a minister of parliament. You know what the answer to that is? Nobody knows. Nobody can point to anything, even in his own district. They love him. They love him dearly. He's their character. And, you know, he's a musical celebrity. And we have a, ten, a tendency to fondness for musical celebrities, such as the fondness we in this family have for Stevie Wonder, and for good reason. But at the same time, if you're a minister of parliament, put some legislation in there that will advance the people. Put your name as a signature on some infrastructure project, uh, an airport or Uganda's land lake, uh, landlocks, or wouldn't have a seaport. But do something, build something that people will associate with your success as a leader. And quite simply, when somebody challenged me over my fondness and fond words for President Museveni, I asked them the same question. They couldn't come up with anything. I sent them back a list of, I think there was 40 accomplishments under Uwari Museveni that have benefited the Ugandan people. This is the way I, I operate, Carl. I am a scientific futurist. I want to supply you evidence of the things that I advocate. All right, we got a minute left, and I want to give you a chance to tell folks how can they get the the books, especially because you've written, you've been a, a prolific uh, author right now. You've written, I think, three books this year. So how can folks get copies no, of your latest books? Carl, my first book this year was called From Pen to Power, 90 Days to Write and Publish Your Book. That book was so good, so successful, that in the 90-day period that I was teaching that class, I released six books for my spring writing session. 
Now for the summer writing session, I'm about to release my fourth book, which will be my 10th book of the year. And you know, I'm not just writing fluff books or little pamphlets. No, these are real full books with a lot of research. I probably will squeeze about one or two more in before the end of the year, especially what do we do with Christmas? That needs to be written down and formalized. People can find my books on Amazon.com under the name Kidi Awadu, or go to my personal website. You'll see the biggest list of my books, K-E-I-D-I dot B-I-Z. You're going to find a treasure trove there. No matter what you're into, I bet you I have at least two or three books on that topic. All right. Thank you, Brother Keedy. Thank you for the work that you do, and thank you for the information you shared with us this morning. Carl, we black and we shine. We always shine when you and I are together. <laughs> All righty. Thanks, Brother Keedy. Uh, folks, we got to get out of here. Enjoy your holiday if you do so. But stay strong, stay positive, and please, please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. <laughs>